Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 160 of the All Getting Here podcast. I'll be your host today, Patrick. And joining me today are my three controversial co-hosts. It's Jojima Jonathan. Oh. Oh. My name is oh. Claymation Colt. <laughs> you could have said Katakuri Colt. What the fuck? Shut up. I'm Western My Winslow. intro. I'm Western Winslow. Today, we have a very specific topic of discussion. We'll be taking a, a, a sample or dive into a, a director today. As a director that has, for a long time, really sort of intrigued us with this very diverse and eclectic body of works. And today, we'll be discussing, in specific, the films of Takashi Miike. This isn't the first time we had an encounter with his movies. If you remember way back in episode 130, we uh, discussed one of his films called Audition. And today we'll be discussing four of his films that are among his most popular and in some cases most controversial and his very story body to work. Just so you know, before we dive into the movies into detail, just know there will be spoilers. So if you want to consider just like a companion piece for after you see these movies, as a heads up, there will be sort of content warning for this episode of Will. Probably for just one movie in particular, but yeah, just keep that in mind. So we'll, we'll definitely remind everyone about that content warning once we get once we close to that movie. Just know going into this, there will be discussion of like heavy, like violent and sexual themes. So yeah. just be aware for those who have certain sensitivities to those subjects. So, uh, But just getting down to the brass tacks, because I was talking about Takashi Miike, Japanese film director. He was born August 24th, 1960. He made his directorial debut in 1991. He's a highly prolific director. He has made nearly 100 movies and often directing three to four movies in a single year. Like at his peak, he was directing like five movies a year, which is fucking insane. Yeah, he's an insane person. Uh, (laughs) Like I I saw this quote from him where he was uh, he was talking about how he would take uh, 15 minutes off his lunch every day to make like an entire another film (laughs) just as sort of like a joke. Wow. Man, so he, uh, some of the ones I've seen, I believe it. I've seen uh, some bad movies. <laughs> but in uh, addition to his prolificity as a director, he's also very controversial because he's widely known for including like gratuitous amounts of violence and sexually graphic material in all of his films, and in addition to like just general bizarre, surreal, and upsetting imagery. So he definitely comes with a lot of like baggage and clamor and... Be- and really, it's not like all of his movies, but the ones that have them are probably the, his most well-known. Some of his most prominent and famous influences for his film filmography is uh, David Lynch, <laughs> yeah, David tell. Cronenberg, Paul Van Hoven. Majority of his work is made of like a theatrical release films, and he frequently uses the earnings from those theatrical movies to fund his sort of smaller scale releases that he often goes straight to DVD. While he's known for sort of reveling in the subject matter in his bigger release films, he definitely really takes special pride in his smaller films in order to really skirt the lines of like movie censorship and just has like a greater degree of creative control because you know he doesn't have a, like a bigger studio telling him what he can and can't do. Yeah, and, and uh, I was doing a little research beforehand, and a lot of the film movement he came up in in Japan, I think it was called V Cinema, wow. was uh, was uh, was very much a direct response to sort of the theatrical film industry kind of tanking in the '90s, which I mean had been slowly declining since like the '60s and '70s, but really shit the bed in the 90s as Japan's economy went in the toilet. Yeah. Uh, so, and a lot of those, the movies in the sort of V cinema 
movement where uh, they would cut they cut back a lot on like their budgets but they were like smaller scale movies and there wasn't uh, as much uh, executive oversight so there was a lot of creative freedom a lot of the directors had with their films and and just sort of how like creative control he he just has with most of his movies he's he's expressed interest in doing a mainstream hollywood film like an english language one but yeah. he said any attempt he's made to come over here it's so highly bureaucratic and just soulless and he just cannot deal with you know that level of uh, studio and yeah, that being know. said like some of his movies like feel like they're a little bit more higher quality than uh like current day hollywood movies like uh it's not we're, we're not going to talk about it today but i watched uh, 13 assassins today and it was very very good well that's also because 13 assassins came out uh 2010 but 2010 still. so yeah uh, but, but it's but very I mean, high quality i mean for that but like you know when you get when you get into like the 2010s the quality does go up for a lot of films I would assume, or I'd like uh, to think. Uh, and that's also in the eye of the beholder as well. Yeah, and I am God. Fuck you. All right, no, that's the end of the podcast. All right, thanks for listening. Now, like we said, his movies are known for a certain type of content, very graphic and violent and sort of sexual content, but that doesn't mean that he isn't capable of breaking out of that. Like, he's known for action and Yakuza films, but... Like we said, with the biggest libraries he has, you really see sort of just the range he's able to pull off. Like he's done children's films. He's done family dramas, teen dramas, period pieces, crime dramas. Um, he's even directed like anime yeah. adaptations with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 4. He's done video game adaptations with the Ace Attorney movie. Yeah, uh, I think he's like, I, like he didn't direct, but he, he's pretty involved in the Yakuza series video games in a producer role. He's, he's even directed the Kabuki play. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Okay. We were saying with the Yakuza games, like he's actually portrayed himself in video games before. Like he has cameos if, uh, in the No More Heroes series. I think he came in the second one, Desperate Struggle. Okay. But just showing to the level of intensity that his movies can provide, he was once asked to be a part of a Showtime horror anthology awesome. called uh, Masters of Horror. It has like a lot of the big names that associated with John, like John Carpenter, for instance. He directed an episode. Unfortunately, it was deemed too explicit to air. And the uh, series creator, uh, while praising Mike's efforts as a director in that film, he said it was one of the most disturbing things he's ever seen. <laughs> what the fuck? I can believe it after watching one of these movies. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I would, I would, I would, be, I can believe it after watching two of these movies <laughs> because, uh, you know, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Just one last little fun fact about Mike. He said one of his most favorite movies is uh, Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah. That, that would make so much sense. Uh, you know, you, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> now that we have a little bit of an overview about Mike's sort of general body of work and who he is, we're going to dive into the first of our quartet of films. The first one being 2008's Sukiyaki Western Django. And uh, that's currently streaming on places like Tubi, Slim TV, Vudu, YouTube, Google Play, and Amazon Prime. There's available in all of those. It's probably one of the most uh, widely available of his films. Yeah, and this is the newest newest of the ones we've watched? This is the newest of, yeah. the, of the four that we'll be discussing today. Yeah. Yeah. Tsukiyaki Western Django is it's a story about a lone gunman who rides into a dilapidated western town populated by two warring clans, the Hike and the Genji, 
and he is quickly embroiled in their long-standing blood feud for wealth and power. Hey, hey, guys. Watch, wait, watch this. Watch. I've always been an anime otaku at heart. <laughs> that took me out. Like, I was I, so confused. I, yeah, like, when you guys talked about that bit, I was like, what's so funny? And then he does it, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, me and Pat were watching it, and holy, like, we we had a fucking come apart oh. on fucking... <laughs> Tarantino, oh. as we buried the lead, Tar- Tarantino's in this movie. Quentin Tarantino yeah. is in this freaking movie, and what bothers me, like, is that he could, he could, he pulls this off, and then I remember that this motherfucker said the N word so many times in Pulp Fiction <laughs> and directed that movie, and I'm just like, what, like, what is this? <laughs> oh my god. Quentin Tarantino, he's an interesting figure in the film. Like, film's narrator, but he's also a character within the plot of the story. Yeah. <laughs> the opening sequence where he just, like, catches that snake, squeezes out the egg, and then he fights off those bandits. Totally bizarre, and really sets the tone for what the rest of the movie will be like. Which is anime-ish fuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. He almost said shit. He almost said the S. Um, anime is fuck. And, 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 like, in a good way, too. I, I personally... Enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I really had a lot of fun with this one. One thing I thought was interesting about the movie, because this is a western, it takes place in um, essentially Nevada, but it has all these Japanese trappings, and so everybody in the film is Japanese except for you know Quentin Tarantino. But everyone speaks English. But what makes it interesting is that almost no one in the film spoke a lick of English. They all learned their lines phonetically. Yeah, that, yeah. you can tell just from the delivery of the lines. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is one of the things I really like about this movie is because it's, it's always been compared uh, that Westerns were like Hollywood's version of the samurai movie. And, and so it, this movie definitely mar- uh, is a marriage of both those concepts. And because they they share a lot of very similar tropes in in the sort of broad sense, you know, there's very very much like cultural massive differences there. It's also but, a cowboy samurai. Yeah, I mean, this movie should just be cowboy samurais. Yeah, and, and, and that's just sort of like if that sounds appealing to you, <laughs> you you'll love this. It's just that that fucking over the top. <laughs> but don't worry, the cowboy samurai is a piece of shit. So. Yeah. <laughs> like, almost everybody in this movie is a piece of shit. You know, yeah, there's not really good many good people. Except for the kid. And yeah, the, that's true. And the Native American person. Yeah. That we don't... Do we even learn their name? No. Yeah. Guardian? <laughs> Like, you know, it, you know what, it, it was funny because, like, at the end of the movie, again, we said spoilers, after the kid's mom dies, and, like, his grandmother dies, and they, like, bury everybody... Not everybody, just their friends. They bury their friends. The, the the main character, the cowboy, he's just like, your mom was a swell lady. <laughs> like, you're only... Like, what? <laughs> like, she just sucked... She just sucked this man's dick in the hotel. <laughs> like, not the hotel. The, the, the Genji temple. Like, <laughs> like don't... <laughs> what? I mean, the kid doesn't... I mean, the kid doesn't know that, but shut up, man. <laughs> what, man, what a it's cheesy... It's like an Amazon review, Wenzel. He's telling her kid he was... It was bad. I mean, it was weird. I mean, it, the movie's good. 
Wizzo has, has a habit of explaining his movie's reviews in reverse fashion, going from the end, end scene and working backwards. <laughs> because I'm just, I mean, I'm just pulling out what I thought was like, what really just stood out to me. Um, uh, also, Personally, the Samurai Cowboy says a lot of uh, cowboy slang, which I thought was hilarious. Don't be a lily uh, lover. <laughs> yeah, it, that was weird. I loved it. <laughs> I, I did too. There, there were definitely a lot of uh, uh, like Western, uh, like the genre Western, like various idioms In, and stuff. But it, it said yeah. through like uh, a Japanese voice speaking English phonetically. So it, it is definitely jarring, but uh, it's very charming in my opinion. Because I know just reading reviews for Sukiyaki, from what I can tell, this is probably one of the more poor review films. Yeah. Because I, I feel like I know a lot oh, of really? people were turned off by sort of the, I guess, the zaniness of the action and sort of just the uh, just the fact that all the speaking roles are from non-English speaking actors and it's all done phonetically. That's a that was a big turnoff for a lot of people. It seems like, and for for me, I like you know <laughs> that... it's charming. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I like the the, the the juxtaposition of the Eastern and Western like aesthetics and just sort of ideas in the in this setting. And like I thought it was it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and especially yeah. since like <laughs> years upon years, people have been saying you know West westerns and samurais are very you know similar genres. And serve similar functions in their respective uh, cultures. So to see those uh, those worlds collide in such a very eclectic and interesting way was, I don't know. It, it this movie was really fun. I mean, it, like it, it, they were literally like colliding. There's like l- like Japanese temples in a western town. You yeah, it's like the 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 outside of the temples would be you know like you know, uh, traditional Japanese temples. And then on the inside, it would be a fucking saloon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I should say, I should say the, um, the Genji, uh, the Genji temple inside was a saloon, but like the regular, um, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. temple inside of it was traditional Japanese, Yeah, which I, I I was in, I thought that was interesting, which it's also funny because, uh, the boss of the Heiki, um, Kiyomori, I think was his name. I, yeah, Kiyomori uh, is the leader of Henry. Henry, Henry, Jesus Christ, Cole, you just yelled into my ear. FKA Kiyomori, he was sort of inspired to sort of reinvigorate this long standing feud after he read The War of the Roses, which is, you know, the English Civil Wars. Uh, specifically, Henry VI plays from Shakespeare. Yeah. Which, which uh, yeah. he. Which I find is, is very much an inside joke because if you know anything about English history, you know, like Henry the Sixth was basically a kid, yeah. So and, and was and because and in more it, the his advisors more or less ruled the country. So to have him kind of uh, appropriate this this, this, this title, this, yeah, this title from this this English king, it's like you know why not Henry the Fourth or the Fifth, which were definitely more akin to the persona he was wanting to create but there's definitely and they mention throughout the movie the war of the roses which i found really interesting and it's very much ever saturated in the aesthetics because you know you got the yeah the hike are red and then the genji are white yeah which is exactly the war of the roses the lancasters <laughs> were red and then the yorks were white exactly exactly and uh the ball and Henry. We'll, we'll just call him Henry because I I just love that he he said stop calling me that yeah and he's and very like, insistent he's like call me Henry 
And, and the thing is, too, he beat up the guy who called him, like, his original name. And it's like, he just announced that he was going to be called Henry from then on. Like, okay, dude, how is he supposed to know that? But let's let's make it known, the boss is an idiot. Henry's an idiot, which is I think is also funny. Also, but... if we're going to, like, call out, like, small things that are dumb, how could that bullet curve? That was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> that was that was awesome though come on yeah, yeah it was like... awesome i'm joking because like you you just said it was dumb how could he have known that he just announced that that's so wacky no i wasn't saying that was wacky i was saying like that's just you know the 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 character uh itself uh this guy is just cruel that's why i was just trying to get at he's cruel yeah. but no 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 yeah, that yeah. that was uh, this entire movie's wacky <laughs> yeah that, that yeah. is sort of like the idea of what you're going to get in this or what what this movie is about when you have a guy who's like wanted style curving fucking bullets well, I do think it's interesting how, like, Yoshitsune is, is leader of the Genji clan. Mm -hmm. Like, he's definitely a more, like, restrained and conniving character. But he has, like, the most, like, outlandish and, like, fanciful abilities. Like, he has, he's very adept with the sword. He does, like we said, the fucking curvature of the bullet. Like, he just fires in the air, but it hits uh, Henry and the side and the back. Just, like, chakra control the bullet or some bullshit. It's just a lot of fun, and because you, know, you see how like they very like flamboyantly and garishly dress, like opposing sides, very indicative of like yakuza and sort of like their swagger and demeanor and sort of general presentation, just on top of like the mishmash of Eastern and Western apparel. It, it's sort of funny, like the main character, the gunman, he's sort of almost incidental to the main story. He's just sort of like a product by which you, you see the two clashing ideals. Yeah, he's very much a Mad Max type figure where he's he is more of a passive protagonist because more of the stuff just kind of happens to him. Yeah. He just kind of stumbles into all this stuff. But the thing is, though, too, is that like he's also uh, what they would what they call in the movie a half breed. He's act uh, his uh, his mother and father. One of them, I, I can't remember which one. They were uh, Haiki and Genji, and you know they ended up uh, having him, and they were actually killed, and that's why you know he's kind of like the way he is today. And um, uh, something I was gonna say too uh, about uh, the leader of the Genji uh, was it Yoshitomi? Uh, Yoshisune. Yeah, Yoshisune is the leader of the Genji. Yo Yoshisune. Um, he uh, whenever he like the wind started blowing. I, I'm sorry, I'm going back to the bullet curving thing. When when he aimed and then the b wind started blowing and then he pointed the gun away, I was like, no, there's no freaking way he's about to shoot in the air and that bullet's gonna hit him. The wind's gonna drive the bullet into that man, and that's exactly what he did. And I lost my fucking mind. That's all I wanted to say about that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm in the same boat. That part was uh, it was a little wacky. Uh, even though, like, just before that, there was uh, a scene where the man pulls out a giant Gatling uh, gun. crank Gatling gun and just, like, mows down all the uh, samurai cowboys. And you know, but you know the thing, though? That's more believable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it could happen. It's just, if he only had, like, one maybe 20-round mag, he just plops it in there and it shoots for a solid two minutes. Yeah. That's another thing about these Takashi Miike movies. Uh, gun magazines do not matter. Does, you have infinite ammo. Suspend all disbelief. Yeah. 
Well, if you learn anything from Westerns, uh, the Gatling gun's always the big surprise weapon, the big thing at the end where it's like, oh, we get, we got to get something to fix those bad guys, and then they come out with a with a big ass honking like machine gun and just mow everybody down. Just some of the other characters uh, that sort of uh, we find out about uh, Ruriko. She seems like she's just a bit of a drunkard, the general store owner, ostensibly a neutral party who sort of introduced the gunmen to the setting. And then over over the course of the plot, we find about more of her story and her connection to the two clans. And she becomes the best character in this fucking the, movie. The bloody betten. I, I, that was like probably the one twist I did not expect. I was like, oh my God, she's the bloody betten. Holy crap. I can't believe she trained under Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Which was also crazy. And she got impregnated by him. <laughs> like, okay. Which leads to a, such a surreal, like, in a movie full of surreal moments, leads to the most surreal moment, where it cuts to Ruriko has sent her um, her assistant off to procure, like, supplies and weapons for the upcoming battle, which leads to Quentin Tarantino's re-entry into the film in the present day, where he basically looks like Emperor Palpatine in a, in a steampunk wheelchair. Exactly. Who, uh, Emperor yeah. Palpatine who's had a stroke. That's just Emperor Palpatine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We find out that Ruriko and Peringo, which is Wink character's uh, character, had a son named Akira. And Tarantino Louis says, I always an anime Ruriko's otaku in, in my heart, so that's why I named my son. It's just like breaking, it was... breaking the wall, breaking whatever weird dimensional barrier between us and the audience. It's like, what the fuck? It was... this, he this looked happened? right at the camera. <laughs> I've, all, I've been an anime otaku at heart. <laughs> so how's my boy? <laughs> and then there's just silence. <laughs> And it's like, oh, I don't think you want to know what happened to your son. Yeah, oh. and, and kind of going back to the whole Shakespeare parallel, there's a a uh, Romeo and Juliet subplot involving uh, Rubico and uh, Tarantino's son and another. Uh, and uh, Akira, who is yeah. um, their son, he's he's a part of the uh, Hieke clan, okay, and then yeah. uh, and Shiz- uh, Shizuka, which is part of the Genji clan, and they eloped in secret. But eventually, catch the attention and the ire of their respective families, which leads to tragedy. Yeah, because uh, Akira is killed by the Hike, and then um, Suzuki is more or less abused and controlled by the Reds and then the Whites, and so she's sort of trying to surreptitiously make a better life for her son, their, their son uh, Hayachi, who is who is traumatized and turned mute by the incident. But all keeping the demands of the Genji suppressed, so they won't cause as much trouble. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was definitely a little bit of like sort of a convoluted, well, who's related to who sort of thing. And plus, I'm just sort of generally lost in these sort of big warring like blood feuds because there's like 50, 60 people in either clan, and like they're all somehow related to each other. Like, how does this work? Yeah, I, I you know, just gotta keep it in the family. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, with some of them, with how their teeth, I can believe it. Just how crazy some of them are. Like the white guy with the crossbow. Oh my god, gunslinger man shot a freaking crossbow crossbow bolt in midair. That was crazy too. <laughs> and then the bloody Benton did it. Oh man. <laughs> oh, that the action in this movie is fun. Oh yeah. Just in sort of terms of just like the, the high grade silly action, like like when uh, the gunslinger first gets to town, he sort of blows a cartoon hole through one of one of the the bad guys, and he's just like, "Well, shit!" and plops over. Well, and that that's that's after someone shoots arrow through that hole to hit somebody else. 
No, that's, yeah, no, that's when the Genji clan get to that town. Then the guy that has, like, the, the very furry hat, he shoots a hole because he's, like, a big gun. He shoots a hole through a guy, and then the crossbow guy shoots a crossbow bolt through that hole into another guy uh, because the bo it was really, it was actually kind of funny. The boss was using multiple of his uh, underlings as shields, and uh, his, like, right-hand man, he literally grabbed him and he was like, we really need to fatten you up. <laughs> that was a really good bit, too. One of the biggest set pieces of the movie is, is like the con final confrontation between the remnants of uh, the Hickey, which is basically, at this point, Henry and his Gatling gun and the gunslinger Ririko, now in full bloody Benton mode, just gunslinging badass Biddy yeah, and, just... the, and the rest of the Genji clan. And it's it, it just a, a great, crazy, over-the-top battle. Just like it's just random explosions in this, in this small western town. And, and it sort of culminates to where... It, it it goes to like a classic samurai type duel with uh, Yoshisune and the gunslinger, and then it just starts snowing out of nowhere. Yeah, it was you, so. You know, it's sort of uh, to because a lot of samurai movies that's sort of how those movies. Yeah, it was just like and, okay, what the fuck? And also, you know, the Genji's colors are white. See, it's funny yeah. because before that, it was all everything was on fire, red blood. That was the uh, the Heiki, and then. At the end, it was the Genji with the snow. Man, it was just, it was poetic. And uh, that was, like, when you, like, we when we said anime, like, er everything else, like, was anime. But this, this ending sequence between uh, the gunslinger and the leader of the Genji was pure anime. Like, it was yeah, so like, freaking good. Like, uh, it was a classic samurai duel in the sense of it's just, like, two guys staring each other down. And they just have this like very brief altercation, but in that altercation, fucking Yitsune is like literally slicing bullets midair with his. Literally, sword. like he literally just he gets his gun, he drops it, brings out his sword, and starts charging. And I'm thinking, this is stupid. He's totally gonna hit him. So the gunslinger shoots at him, and he's literally cutting the bullets. And there's even a point with CG where it shows him cutting the bullet in half. But luckily, the gunslinger has his gun. He uses the gun to block. He blocks his sword. It goes into uh, the the part where the trigger the, meets the grip of the uh, gun, the, basically. Yeah, the, like, yeah, the, the trigger guard. Yeah, and uh, and it's like in that moment, it's like, oh man, how's he gonna get out of this? Motherfucker, gunslinger pulls out a derringer hidden in his sleeve and pops him in the face. <laughs> Good shit. Good shit. <laughs> yeah, and, and then you know, you know, we were talking about how like you know with, with the Hiike, it was everything was on red and on fire, and then it started snowing like the Genji. And then when uh, old homeboy gunslinger shoots uh, uh, Yoshisune in the face, you know, the blood splatters on the snow. So who wins in the end? Was it the Heiki Nobody. or Genji? Nobody. Nobody won. literally everybody's dead. It's yeah. 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 The gunslinger and the boy and, and the mountaineer that helps him out at sort of the uh, denouement, like the, uh, the the trouble of the movie. I just want to go back, because I just love Ririko in this movie. Like, she's... Yes. Everybody has a little badass moment, sure, but, like, a trope I want more movies from now on is just an old lady with fucking guns just whooping ass. We got, we got Sarah Connor and Terminator. We need more of this. By, like, I want grannies with guns, goddammit. And you know what? Ririko, kind of hot. I'll say it. Can't agree. She, I mean, she, you know, she, I mean, kicking ass, she looked awesome, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, which, oh, something that I thought was great, too. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, when the sheriff, oh, man, I was so, 
Ah, I was so pissed when the sheriff shot Bloody Benton. Uh, he gets shot several times, but doesn't die. But the one thing that kills him <laughs> is, I think it was the... Uh, uh the, the mountaineer man yeah the uh, the native american person who uh who literally throws a, a wooden cross at the sheriff and, <laughs> yeah. and it literally stabs into him it was crazy throws a gray marker like a giant shirk and just like skewers him and what was so crazy about like even though bloody benton got shot the way she reacted just like bitch did you just do that literally yeah. that's like, literally yeah like, it was annoyed she, and like mortally wounded it was so good because she was just walking and she was like, really? And then she th throws her gun and I'm just like, oh, please, God, don't die. Oh, man. But she dies. Uh, rest in peace. And then also, like, the sheriff has, like, this weird split personality thing going on. Because that wasn't present to start of me. Like, he seemed, you know, kind of sycophantish, but still fairly level-headed. And then when the, the drama starts to heat up, he starts developing in a in a private moment this, like, split personality he's essentially employed by the Hieke, but he's kind of playing both sides yeah, yeah for his own benefit but he ends up getting a fucking cross stake through the chest which i don't know how he's still alive. he should have died when he was being dragged by the horse because there was a point when he's getting dragged that he literally um <laughs> he folds back he literally gets pulled back. backwards to where he's bent like he's literally like like he's, you hear he's, his bones cracking he, too he's yeah. folded he's folded and it's like i was like thinking oh my god he's finally dead like that's crazy no no <laughs> no he literally wakes up out of uh, a grave a literally a tombstone and he's like all right i'm gonna you know go back to town or he has a moment with his personalities where he's like deciding whether to go back to town or just leave but he ends up having to go back to town because he uses a body uh, human sh meat shield uh, for uh, Henry. Uh, we're just talking about how like we're surprised. Like, why didn't he die? What the heck? And we, I always just go back to the part where that guy curved the bullet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have yeah. to. It's like don't think about it. It's just a movie. It's fun. Have fun. Because that sort of part and parcel with most of Miyake's movies is just absurdity. That's something you have to accept walking into any of his films, and especially this one where it's more like more campy and fun. Mm -hmm. Even though it, this seems to be on the lower end of, of the general reviews, this is obviously one of our collective favorites of the bunch. No, personally, I think it's okay. It's probably, uh, it's down there. It's number three out of the four. Uh, for me, it's, uh, I would put it in number two. I liked it a bit. I think for me, it's now, now that y'all are talking about it, for me, it's probably three because uh, there's going to be two movies we get to later on. Well, you know, the like, thing is, is that you say that and like at first I was like, oh, maybe. But then the one of the movies, like not, not the last one that I know we're going to talk about is going to be the last one. But like one of them is just there's just one scene that just completely throws me out of the film. I'm just like, nope, can't like it. We'll get to it. But to, to wrap up with uh, Django, this is my second favorite, and think this is something that's well worth looking into. There is some violence and some like sexual content, but I think this is definitely a, an easier film of, of the four to watch. Yeah, it, and, and the violence is definitely more movie. It's definitely more cartoony and yeah, uh, and more fun. It's uh, some of the we say that, but people get straight up like blown holes in the katana straight and, through the and skull. And also, the woman, the yeah. mother of Heihachi, she gets shot with a crossbow, and then the man who shoots her attempts to rape her as she's dying. Yeah, it, 
She did good. She got a she got a rough road in this movie. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, that poor woman. Yeah, but we also say that relative to the rest of the movies. Oh, that is true. List. Yeah. So, definitely right. recommend. Definitely recommend this one. All right, moving on to our second film, we have 1999's Dead or Alive. Oh man, yeah. we're getting right. Okay, this is, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. And uh, just so you know, this is not an adaptation of the Dead or Alive games. Just putting that out there now. It is not uh, related can... at all. No, th- this is a complete original property from Miike and, and the writers. Yeah. And uh, th- this is currently streaming on iTunes and Amazon Prime. This, this probably has to the fewest spots to watch, but it, it is out there if you look for it. Yeah. And uh, this is actually the first installment of the DOA trilogy. The trick with this trilogy is that every movie is unrelated to the to the previous one, sharing only Miki as a director and the two main leads, which is uh, Rike Takeuchi and uh, Sho Aikawa. They're in every film as the main leads. And specifically, the first one is uh, it's set in the underground of Shinjuku, which is, which is just rife with drugs and sex and violence. And it follows the story of a Japanese cop and a Chinese gangster that slowly become entangled in an escalating crime war in Shinjuku that threatens the lives of everyone involved. And all right, I'll, I'll get it. I'm, I'm just gonna say my piece. What the two? There's actually two things in the movie that take me out of it. Uh, one thing, uh, guy jerks off a dog. Number two. Oh, oh yeah, that that was fucking weird. Number and, and then and then number two is girl dies in her own shit. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that that, that, that that's what movie. like no like when as soon as he said hey jerk this guy like oh my god I I don't even want to repeat this when the when the when the guy says hey jerk this dog off I was like wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on, and like I pause, I, I pause it, and I just walked away. I was like, I, I don't, I'm, I'm out of this movie right now. And I came back. Hey, you can't say it's unrealistic. No, I mean no, it's not. There's stuff like oh, that. Oh no, I know there's stuff like that, but like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to watch it. <laughs> they don't. I mean, they don't show you do him doing it. It's more of a background thing. Like, but literally, it's a bad thing. But literally, but still, it's not. It's shown. not shown. But like the thing is, which is actually uh, some sort of restraint for me. Again. And, and but the thing is, though, he's literally holding the dog down, and you just see his right arm moving. Like that's it, though. You know it's happening. And then they go. Oh my god, I don't. Even, it, it is disgusting, and I hate it. And uh, yeah, that that just completely like I can't like I I had to pause like uh, I, I paused it several this movie several times not only because it those parts but also just because it was really boring. To, to me personally uh but yeah that's my shtick for right now I, I don't know how you found it boring this movie was butt fuck wild <laughs> i absolutely loved the uh main character the main yakuza guy the way he just just the way he was he was uh uh crazy as hell yeah he, he was like just like 90s cool personified he, yeah. he is like slick black black hair sunglasses and a long trench coat and, and just like this permanent scowl the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. personally, I think my views on this movie is that the beginning uh, segment, like fifteen minutes, I enjoyed that, and I enjoyed the last fifteen minutes a lot as well. And the in between part, I was okay with. Yeah, I, I will say uh, a lot of these, a lot of the movies we watched definitely had second act slumps. 
where like you know like especially like the middle like up to like two thirds I was definitely checking my watch be like okay come on let's get to the point sort of thing yeah yeah so so like I I can I I, I can see where you're coming from in that regard. Yeah, but there was some good in the middle, like, uh, specifically, I'm gonna pull this out, because, uh, it made me giggle, was, uh, one of the guys was, uh, getting a gun pointed at him, and he starts to, uh, batter and fry his hand <laughs> in the process. <laughs> he literally, he literally temporizes that, that his That was the, uh, I'm trying to think, that was, like, one of the, uh, like, the higher-ups in the, uh, po- at the police station. I, you know, I, that was kind of funny. Uh no, it was definitely funny, and he was also a piece of shit too. So you know, whatever. I mean, that's like for me, like like you guys said, like that middle. For me, it was literally from beginning to uh to middle. It was just all just really eh, and then towards the end is when I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, this movie is very uh famous, and some would probably say infamous for the the opening scene. Which is just this mon this montage of debauchery, and a lot of like uh, Japanese film historians, you know, said that this movie really set the tone for twentieth century, twenty first century Japanese cinema. Oh wow! And then it, it's very much known for its ending, which we'll get to after <laughs> at the end, because uh, to me, of all the movies, this is the one you need to watch without any spoilers going in. Especially because of the ending, because it's like what? It's, it's you wild. do not see the ending coming at all. <laughs> was, if you like, do, I don't know. What's it's wrong. so predictable. What, what are you talking about, Colt? <laughs> God, when you said that in chat, because like after Wenzel finished, he was like, "Yeah, I saw the ending coming." I'm like, "You're fucking." Drunk. <laughs> yeah, of course I Why? am. Nobody could have seen that coming. <laughs> Before we get to that, is uh, for the most part it. Like there's definitely some over the top moments, but it is a more a pretty grounded, relatively, uh, uh, Yakuza oh, yeah. movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's realistic uh, to a point. To a point, yeah. And um, uh, and one of the various uh, motifs of uh, Miike's movies is he's very much interested in the outsider, uh, the, like the people who are on the fringes. Ah, of Jared society. Leto. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, obviously. that bad movie. And one thing I was looking up for this movie is uh, this sort of there, there's a lot of really interesting sort of racial and ethnic politics underlying a lot of this movie because a lot of like because a lot of the characters are of they're ethnically Japanese but they either lived on the mainland or other countries for so long so when they come back they're treated uh, as sort of a, a minority. And I'm not going to speak like I have any sort of authority on this because, you know, I'm just a fucking white kid in America. But uh, that, that's definitely one of the mo- more interesting things to, like, research if you want to read sort of the reading of this movie. Yeah, um, that was uh, – I, I will say that was definitely an interesting part because there was, like um, – there's a lot of uh, moments uh, – like because there there was definitely that racial uh, tension because um, there was like a there was a part in there where I think it was Jojima the, the our main like police character he um, he was talking about uh, round, he he talked about rounding up all uh, Chinese Chinese people uh, 
Yeah, it was very much. Uh, there was a lot of disparaging language towards. Uh, yeah, Chinese. and then there, but then there's also a part in there where the yakuza are striking a deal with somebody who actually can't, uh, who can't speak Japanese. Uh, I think I think he was Chinese as well. I, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and even though this is a yakuza movie, most like it's mostly dealing with the triad, which is kind of a. It's based out of China, but it's this worldwide spanning, like very decentralized yeah. gang, yeah. like Chinese uh, organized yeah. crime. And, yeah, and there was even a part in there where um, Jojima was trying to look more into uh, Ryuichi, and um, he went into what it would have been his, uh, or what was his old neighborhood. He was talking to two, uh, two men who uh, they said they're neither Japanese, but they're also not Chinese as well, which is also like you know a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of uh, Asians, um, you know, Asian Americans, anybody who's like who's like mixed or, uh, you know, just that uh, Southeast Asian Pacific Islanders stuff have a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, problems or cri- uh, uh, identity crisis, like tension. identity, uh, you know, like and also like how yeah. um, how people see them, you know. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty interesting definitely like a layer to this uh crazy movie <laughs> yeah definitely and, and if i read right when i was doing doing my research uh uh Miike's family was they're ethnically japanese but they moved to the mainland and then moved back and suffered similar uh uh discrimination oh wow interesting returning. so and and, and that really and a lot of his uh, Yakuza movies really deal yeah. with that. Uh, a lot of people say uh, the the trilogy, the Yakuza trilogy he does he did before uh, Dead or Alive. It's like the Black Society trilogy. Yeah, really goes oh, wow. into that. Hmm. But uh, but those are definitely I think more down to earth, like grounded dramas versus this, which is. Uh, it definitely has some of that elements, but it does get crazy. Because yeah. one thing I did think was interesting, like it, it starts so like strongly, to use that word, and then for the most part until the end, it, it plays fairly straight and subdued as like a crime drama. But of course, you know, Mike like punctuates this with like different moments. Like we mentioned, you know, the, the pornographer scene, the woman pool of shit, which is super jarring, but it's just sort of inner space. I, I think fairly well with sort of the like this police oh, yeah. drama, this like crime drama between the the doing like the doing you know identities of these two people and and how like they have very similar needs. They they are humanized and different. They both had different like different flaws. Like Ryuichi, like he commits all these crimes so he could keep his younger brother out of the crime life and into like a like a bigger like more substantial life and a job with an education. And uh, Jojima, like he's sacrificing essentially his family in order to sort of maintain like i guess like a uh, a press down on the crime but he's losing his like relationship with his wife and his daughter is alien he he seems sort of detached from it all yeah and and then on top of that jojima and his his wife and his daughter his daughter has some sort of terminal illness i don't remember if they They say what it is no they Uh, I, I, if I it, it sound the way they were talking, it sounded like some sort of hard yeah, issue. Yeah, but there was definitely this financial strain, uh, strain because the wife, every time he comes home, she's always like, "Oh, yeah, this shit's expensive, and we need money." And he, he, and he's def, and he's always like, "Yeah, 
He's like, I'm working on it. Don't worry and, about uh, it. And, and later um, he, uh, it finally kind of like, we have a moment where like, he finally is like, I guess being brought back into earth into his family because, uh, he also has a moment. I, I don't know if you'd call it a moment of weakness, but like, he kind of like, um, kind of compromises his, uh, his, like his job and his morality because he ends up meeting with a, uh, Yakuza boss and strikes a deal where, uh, you know, give me two, I think it was like, they needed 2 million yen or something. They need, or, I think 200, 200, million. Million. 200 million they need yeah. 200 million yen and uh and you know and he'll and he'll let go of all of his you know yakuza friends and stuff like that or whatever and he'll have to pay him back and um and yeah and you you know there's that moment uh as well and um and in the in the entire movie like not only is jojima fighting against the the triad and the yakuza and all the organized crime but he's also fighting against you know his own like superiors in the police force because mo- a lot of them are yeah. very corrupt or at the very least just just like apathetic apathetic is like they're the police that she literally spends all day carving flutes <laughs> and, on the and playing them like he's like he's so completely detached from the whole yeah. scenario <laughs> a, a roof that looks very similar to a roof that's in the next movie oh the, the movie we'll talk about next and this one they both take place in shinjuku just in yeah. d- different yeah. places one of the big climactic moments because we have Jojima, he's under the thrall of the Yakuza in order to, to save his family. But at the same time, as we mentioned before, the woman that was sort of trapped in shit, she was part of Ryuichi's sort of small-time ragtag group of criminals. Mm-hmm. And she was sort of drugged and coerced by one of the triad leaders. And sort of in order to get back for, for her sake... He and his gang, they ambush the birthday party of one of the high-ranking triad members, and they fucking light they, that they, place up. Yeah, it's one of the more exciting yeah, scenes of the movie. They, they literally just, kill everybody, except for the tri- the triad leader. Yeah, because he, he hides yeah, under the, the, table, uh, the which, table. Which, uh, you know, man. Yeah, that, that scene was definitely was, uh, was one of the more higher points of the movie. Um it was bonkers. Also, can we say R.I.P. Big Bird in that scene? <laughs> R.I.P. The Bird. Oh, man. I was so sad. I was like, no, don't kill the Ibis. But the Ibis died. Yeah. Sadly, sadly, the mascot died. Um, and then this is also the scene it just after everything dies down. Uh, Ryuchi's uh, younger brother who... The big uh, crux of Ryuchi's arc is he's trying to, like Pat was saying, uh, make enough money so he can pay for his uh, brother's education, and you know, sort of keep him out of. I this. mean, that's uh, but, yeah, that's why. Um, literally, the beginning of the movie, uh, Ryuchi's brother comes back from America because the money that he's been making was what he used to send him to America to go to university, but now he's back. Yeah, and like how Jojima is alienated from his family due to his job, Ryuchi is doing the same thing because his brother, I uh, forget his brother's name. Hold on one second. I, I, you know, I can't remember it for the life of me. He was barely in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that was, was it by... To, no, no, no. Uh, Toji, right? But, yeah, it was Toji, because that was by yeah. design, because he's... Like, he's purposely distancing oh, himself Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, that makes complete yeah, sense. Yeah, because... 
Yeah, because he finds out where all all this money's coming from, and he's definitely conflicted. Not, yeah, and he's definitely not into it. Wait, but uh, he he gets brought in with this whole thing and ends up getting shot. Yeah, because and this is sort of the the first domino that falls that cl- uh, culminates in the climax. Um, uh, the- I'm sorry. I sh- I should say the the reason being that he got shot was actually um when Ryuchi is fighting the uh the man with uh the man who's part of the, now the triads who's like you know they come to agreement um he has a sword he the, essentially the birthday man that he was the one that um one of the survivors of the initial gunfight and he corners Ryuichi with like his ceremonial sword and he's going to strike him down when Toji arrives and shoots him in the back to say And then in, and then uh after that Inui uh Jojima's partner comes in and tells them all to freeze and uh they just unload on him completely just kill him and I, and that like and that also kind of like i will say the 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 emotional part like the emotional depth of the movie was actually you know done really well um because uh Inui, uh there's a moment where like we they're kind of like there's like a little there's a little moment where like he's spending the day with his son while he's also doing police work and then after he gets killed uh you just uh, there's a scene where Jojima is just telling uh, Anui's wife and his son that he's sorry and that he's sorry and that he's sorry and that's all he can say. Um, yeah, it was... It was pretty rough. Um, but Anui also ends up killing Toji as well. Personally, and... when Anui was dead, uh, getting shot at, I was hoping it was kind of like Robocop where they just kept shooting. <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> I mean, granted, they shoot him a lot and he still survives... Because he managed to squeeze off one round that hits Toji, and he's and he still lives even after that incident. He's and he expires shortly thereafter. But like you said, it, it is a despite all the weird depravity and it's as an emotional like sink because reason why Inoue was there because he sort of took Dojima's place so he can t- finally have one day with his family. And then shit went down, and he sort of like Inoue died in Dojima's place. Essentially, yeah, and then by the time Jojima gets to what is now a crime scene, anyone who's left alive, other than that one Yakuza boss he makes the deal with, is dead <laughs> or dead and, or gone. And so. there was also a moment in there too where, uh, when he when he uh, when the Yakuza boss uh, confronts him, he's like, the Yakuza boss is like, you know what? I need help. Uh, I guess I'm in charge of the Yakuza now. <laughs> um, uh, I'm gonna all your debts. Are he's off. like, all your debts are off. Uh, can you help me? Dojima just puts one in his head. I was like, you know what? That makes sense. Just compl- yeah. just kills him off. This event really sets into motion the events that will lead to the finale of the movie because uh, after this, it becomes uh, the the bodies just start piling on because <laughs> Jojima and Ryuchi, you know, uh, after Ryuchi's brother died and Jojima's partners died, they, uh, you know, they're definitely really have a vengeful vendetta against one another because um dojima uh intercepts uh ryuichi's like heroin supply excuse, cocaine supply excuse me and ha- has that completely confiscated and then on top of what happened with at the yakuza's birthday ryuichi wants to sort of usurp control of the of this sort of the japanese and the chinese uh, mob and sort of ins- insert himself as a major player and that that was sort of taken away when Dojima intercepted the cocaine, and so Ryuichi it sets in motion his revenge. 
which um, is, we cut to Jojima meeting up with his family. They're about they, it's, everything seems to be in order. They're going out like a day of shopping, and his wife and his daughter go to borrow the car, which leads to like an utterly shocking moment when the, when the car explodes because of a bomb that Ryuji planted in the car. And that hit like a brick. We did not expect oh, that. No, yeah, me and Pat both just like we we fucking. You screamed. know, I at first I was like, nothing bad can possibly happen now. But then I thought about it. I was like, there was that one guy who wanted to throw a grenade at Jojima while he was on the boat eating bananas. And then I was like, everything is too peaceful right now. And I was like, I literally said to myself, that car's about to fucking blow up. <laughs> and then it does. And I'm yeah. like, wow. I am more sad. But and not only does it blow up like uh Jojima is watching from the top of the building and watches as his wife and daughter are basically burst into flames. Yeah, and it's not like a tiny explosion. It's like uh it's huge. It's it's very 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 Michael Bayish. <laughs> yeah, can't agree. It's very excess a lot of excess. And then uh, after after that, we see Jojima carrying the urns of his wife and daughter, and that's a pretty intense moment too, where he's literally running his fingers through their ashes and just sort of like it's like stunned moment of heartbreak. Yeah, yeah. And, and then after that, it leads to the final confrontation between Jojima and Ryuichi, which um, Jesus Christ! It's just escalation. It starts like yeah. okay. It's, it's the remnants of Ryuichi's gang, yeah. and then lone cop on the edge, uh, Jojima. And, and we want to preface this. Like, I know we've said spoilers, 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 but if you've not seen this movie and you want to, skip for probably the next, like, 15 minutes because... Uh, Don't worry. I will have timestamps on, on our, our pages, but just know if you have not seen it, it, you have to see everything that comes before this because... Yeah. What the finale is, it's like it just sort of completely blindsides you from everything that you've seen. Yeah, and one of the th- like when I've I've heard of this movie before when I was uh, previously looking into Miike, and everyone says it's the opening and the ending, especially the ending is really fucking bonkers, uh, and but like that does not prepare you for what's about to happen because. So they basically they're 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 both driving in this field. They, there's like a bunch of shit with cars. Yeah, um, they're playing chicken. They're they're playing chicken. Re, uh, Ryuchi's car with his last two uh, minions. They they swerve off Banana. and they wreck. They flip. So they get out. So Jojima turns around and is about to drive right into them. And the last remaining uh, henchman of Ryuchi. Although he has two left, one of them who who has a penchant for like grenades and explosives, he uh, pops one grenade and just decides to run headlong to the car, bust through the windshield, and then blows that son of a bitch into the sky. And then, well, and then, like after the explosion, the the car is not there, and and you're just like, wait, where the fuck? But is then the, the also, car? And then, the like, other guy throws a knife, <laughs> like, oh yeah, he he throws a knife into the windshield. But no, 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 he does that. After the car is blown up and in the air, he just throws the knife. And it's like, okay, where's that knife go? <laughs> yeah, well, and, and then the fucking, like, ten seconds later, the car crashes down. And it's just a fucking 
like charred husk. Like crashes down nose first into the ground, and then um, the last henchman's like, "Hey, buddy, where'd you go? Don't tell me you're dead." Even though he literally just saw him, like die bombed his car himself and he's sort of looking around and he like finds his dead buddy's like hand and all of a sudden you hear bang 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 and he starts squirting blood like a fire hydrant pirouettes of death and then Jojima kicks out of the flaming husk of the car and just like standing there like all bloody and staggering with the fucking knife in his stomach yeah he's tattered uh his Left arm is falling off where he proceeds to rip it off. Which is a badass. And, and throws it aside. And, you know, and this is already crazy. And then fucking Jojima pulls out a fucking rocket No, 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 wait. Hold on. <laughs> um, Jojima and Ryuji, <laughs> yes. they, 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 they square up and just go pow, 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 pow. Just like trade shots. Pump each other full lead. Oh, yeah. Then they stagger for a bit. They both fall down, but they... They're like, psych, bitch, you thought. And they they step out on one foot and just like, I ain't dead they yet, bitch. And then... Joe this Zima, is a very anime like, fight, by Looney the way. Tunes, like Hammer Space, pulls out a rocket launcher, aims it at uh, Ryuji. Then Ryuji pulls out an uh, energy orb from his fucking chest. Like, it goes straight DBZ. Fucking Ryuji throws the fucking spirit bomb. Uh, Jojima fires the fucking rocket launcher. It caused this like DBZ-like explosion that destroys the world. Cut to credits. In that's the movie. literally cut to credits, we're Steve. not making this up. That is the actual ending of Dead or Alive. <laughs> and nothing, nothing was leading up to this that would say this is gonna like, happen. Everything was like under underground, underworld, like Yakuza crime stuff. Uh, stuff like that, and then we get a spirit bomb that destroys the world. What? Like the missile, the rocket launcher. Yeah. What you actually see him holding it on the letterbox page. You see him holding it as like a little uh, background image. It's like okay, okay, like yeah. you know. But this Ryuji pulls literally a spirit bomb out of his chest. <laughs> like there's nothing, there's nothing that could have hinted at his ability to make energy orbs. There's. <laughs> It literally comes, uh, and, and for like, just to, just to try to explain what how this scene made us feel, like uh, a cannon is walking by as the scene is happening, and and he watches it with us, and he's like, "What the fuck was that?" And we were like, "We don't know either. <laughs> we watched this movie, and we don't know." Play. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it wasn't honestly, if it wasn't for this final scene, I wouldn't have given it like what I gave it. I'd probably give it like two and a half personally, because this final scene really, really pushed. Oh yeah, me. same for me. Like I was, I was yeah. originally gonna give it, you know, two stars. I was like, all right, I'm gonna give it two stars and be done with it. But then I see this, and I'm like, okay, this is a three star. This is three stars. Like that, literally, the scene just takes up one star. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, and, and, yeah. And honestly, like, the more we talk about this movie and the more I think on it, I think I love this movie more and more. <laughs> like, like y- y'all say it's like, give it a three. I'm thinking like four and a half. <laughs> You're disgusting. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, well, I like, I also like the sort of, you know, the more down, you know, the sort of low. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Too. You know, this is completely fine. <laughs> well, but it's one of those movies I can understand if this isn't your thing, 
because it definitely does sag in the the middle. There there is like a lot of character interactions and just uh, overall drama that you know keeps it going along. But um, I I could see how some someone might not be into that. But yeah, that fucking ending just is is the whipped cream and cherry on top. Man, yeah. like, I mean, like, if you're listening to this and you've watched it, you know. Like, you know. But if you're, if for some reason you didn't watch it and you're listening to this, I promise you, I promise you, we are not kidding. This is not made up. This is the legit ending of this movie. The world is destroyed. And somehow there's two more movies. <laughs> because like we said, it's just a trilogy, but they're all completely unrelated. So they can do whatever the fuck they want. I don't know what happens in the other two. Probably maybe something just as, but, but, but. But Bizarre. Y- y- yeah, and, and they say the the sequels are actually but you know also, good. the second one's apparently the best in the also, trilogy, and it's gotten me really. Also, excited. the second one has a subtitle that says "birds." <laughs> it's yeah. just birds. Yeah, it's it's literally dead or alive birds. But like as crazy as this ending is, like it would have like it, it'd be crazy no matter what happened. It, it could have been like butt fuck crazy the whole way through, and the ending would still feel crazy, but. What clinches that ending is so powerful. It's just like how sort of almost mundane a good 70% of the movie is. Yeah. And then you just hit with that and then just like it just knocks you flat on your ass. <laughs> it, 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 is a, it, is, it is what they call pure yeah. cinema. It, it, it goes like in straight uh, just bonkers territory. And, and it's it sort of like after watching this this movie, there's definitely – a very uh, uh, this continuing um, motif, like thematic motif of how like violence just literally leads to everyone dying. Like we see that in in Sukiyaki Western Django, and uh, we saw it in this movie with the literal end of the world, and we're going to see it with the next movie uh, that we're so, talking. Uh, about. I like to imagine uh, director Mike was making this movie, and he was like. Not weird enough. <laughs> and then he put that ending in. I believe oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he put that ending in there. I'm like, that's probably the vet. Like, if, if that's how that decision to put just like, if that ending was just one decision or one meeting in itself to do, I appreciate that. Uh, and apparently that that scene was not in the script. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he literally was just like, I'm gonna put this in here, and, and literally the the studio exec was like, "That okay. is am- he just like free balled the last ten minutes." That is of this amazing. Movie. That I- is freaking amazing. Because <laughs> I would have bet that he had like he had the ending first, and he's like, "Okay, how do I make this payoff work?" And he just wrote this whole like long drama field. Well, I mean, like, he didn't write it. I mean, he just directed. I it. mean, I mean, I'm just kind of playing the game, like you know. He had this punchline, and he wanted to get there, and he just said, like, oh, I got to make all this bullshit, and then, then we'll have this. <laughs> but it was actually, he was like, got all this bullshit, and he's like, all righty, let's do this. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a very interesting movie. It, it, like we said, it is a bit of a slower movie. There are definitely some, like, some very intense moments, and I feel like this is probably one of the more, it's hard to say grounded, but, like. Excessive. It, it is, is one. Even with this bonkers-ass ending, it's one of the more accessible of his movies. I think this will be a good place to take a pause, and we'll get right back with one of the uh, most famous and infamous, infamous uh, Miyake's films. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, everyone. This is the second part of our Takashi Miike sampler pack. And now we did want to say this is the film that we've been sort of hinting at, which is like definitely the the content warning of the episode. So just know there we'll be discussing a lot of graphic violence, sexual violence. We should say what's in it. There's there's rape and there's torture and uh, yeah. What else is in there? There's a lot of heavy stuff. I mean, it's literally it's literally rape and torture. Like you pretty much covered the entire basis of the movie, so you got it. So uh, to just know, um, th- this will be the more sort of content intensive portion of the episode. So what we'd said is not something it, it, you're, you can really sit through. That's yeah. okay. You, you can skip ahead to the final segment of the show. Talk to you there. Um, for those who are still with us, we'll be discussing 2001's Ichi the Killer. And this is currently streaming on YouTube, Google Play, Voodoo, Amazon Prime, and Sling TV. And Ichi the Killer is about the disappearance of a Yakuza gang leader and his violent and masochistic lieutenant who's doggedly searching for his leader. All the while, a bloody killer known as Ichi is stalking the Shinjuku criminal underground. This is actually a movie based off a 1993 manga called Ichi. It's a 10-volume series. And the original um, manga was actually so graphic that it's banned in certain parts of Japan. And this film is so notorious for its graphic content that it was heavily edited in several international releases and in and it's completely banned in certain countries like Finland and Germany and Malaysia. That really sets the tone of just how intense the movie is. One, the main character in this film is uh, Masao Kakihara. He's like this sadomasochistic Yakuza man who has these facial scars. and Who looks really cool. Yeah, he looks, I, I will say, like, character, like, design, he looks really cool. Yeah, uh, he, he has, like, a Glasgow smile that's sort of uh, kept together by, piercings. Uh, like, these these lip piercings. Uh, and and I, I made a joke halfway through, but, like, I, I, I kind of halfway go with it. This movie is basically Batman. Um... <laughs> Because, but I, I mean, I'm serious because like Kakihara, like he's very much in this very flamboyant attire, like a lot of purples and stuff. I mean, and, and I mean, he has like the Glasgow smile. He's, he's like very much, yeah, like the Joker, especially with that clothing. Uh, I actually really liked his clothing too. Very nice yeah. uh, sense of style. Yeah, and and, and then you know uh, the the titular character Ichi, you know, he, he has this. Arbor. costume that's basic that's basically batman without the cape i never cowl. want to he does have batman. a yellow symbol it's a number one on his back because that's what his name means yeah what, 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 so and, and and after he suffered a traumatic event he's going around beating up and actually eviscerating uh, all of these uh these uh criminal on un- the criminal underworld yeah. also uh, he's a it's it's, it's batman and well, i don't want to watch this batman series ever this is a terrible Batman series. <laughs> Batman yeah. should never I mean, ever I, I, do the things that this man does or thought about wanting to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know, yeah. I don't even know how to. Cause, cause, I don't even know how to talk about this movie because it's just it's just so obscene. Like, yeah, like, and it gets to the point where, uh, like, like uh, we were kind of talking in between segments. And Wenzel, you said that like I was kind. Of, you were kind of bored with a lot of yeah. this movie as well. Yeah, 
And, and, and I think it's, it's just because the violence is so obscene, you just become desensitized. And You're just like, please stop. We don't exactly. need you to do the exact same thing that, that happened 40 minutes ago where that's this exactly woman was like, getting beaten and then she was raped by this guy and then they do the exact same thing 40 minutes later. We don't yeah. need that twice in this movie. Like, Pier- it, Honestly, like, we don't even need and, it in and, this movie. Like, was, I, lo- yeah, yeah. yeah, I would argue you wouldn't need it in the movie at all. But it's... And, 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 the, and the thing is, it's like I'm not opposed to having any sort of like sexual violence, like sexual assault, molestation, rape in any sort of media. It's a real thing that happens. With, it needs to be with known. subjects like that. It's just that you don't, you shouldn't have gone about it this way, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah it, you have to handle this with care. And I, the biggest issue I have with this movie is I, I get what the the sort of, at least the theme I interpret of the movie is the cyclical and seductive nature of violence and, and how it, it, it and what violence mixed with the imagination and trying to like search for that next thing, that next extreme that's going to get you off. Cause a lot of characters in this movie are very like sexually frustrated or they are, they get like sexual pleasure off of the violence either done to other people and or done to themselves. Yeah. Because uh, um, Kikihara is, um, he, he was like, his boss, uh, Yakuza boss, Anjo, the reason why he was so dead set on looking for him is because uh, the uh, the pleasure he got from uh, when Anjo would beat him. Um, like, that's, and like, um, and um, Kikihara also wasn't, you know, from like his Glasgow smile and the cuts on his face, he also isn't, um, he also uh, he's he isn't afraid of also harming himself too because there's also a part in there where he uh, he's he just cuts off his own tongue, doesn't care. Yeah, that um, part made me cringe uh, a lot. Ooh, yeah, it, it it was it was definitely hard to watch because it was definitely one like uh, there, there, I, I will say a lot. Some of the effects, especially the CG effects, are very dated. Oh yeah, yeah but. Uh, it, there's also, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about Ichi because Ichi is just as fucked up. Um, yeah. You know, he's like, he's like, um, he, he's kind of like this. It's such a weird character because, like, he's a, you know, he's obviously a killer and he's killing these, uh, these underlings, but he's also being controlled by some, you know, this old man. This and, hypnotist. Uh, this hypnotist, and uh, like, and like that sexual frustration that we're talking about is also present within him, but a lot of his. Uh, because in the literally the very beginning of the movie, and this is also where we get some weird CG, is like as he's watching this woman getting beaten by uh, it's actually a prostitute and her pimp. Uh, she's getting beaten and then raped. I think it was, was I could be wrong, but wasn't that supposed to be the boss that goes missing? No, um, no, no. That, just that's just guy. a pimp. It was just literally a pimp with his prostitute, and um, and uh, he was watching that happen, and. Uh, he uh, he accidentally bumps into something, kind of makes a sound, but he's able to get away. Uh, but what the guy doesn't notice is that there's just uh, huge semen come all over the plant. Come. But it's also, but also, whenever it starts dripping onto the the uh, the floor of the balcony, they use this CG for it, and it looks really weird. Dude, I was eating. <laughs> well, and, and and you're kind of burying the lead because not not only is this guy sort of getting off to being a peeping tom to this rape that we're watch that you know but that's where we get the the title 
is out of the cum. Yeah, like yeah. The, the words Ichi's killer float up from the cum. <laughs> that so to let you know, uh, you'll see some more CG cum and just sort of just very. Oh my god, we, later. we do see it again later because later he's killing somebody, and blood and cum literally spray on the wall. Yeah, but it's CG and it's so yeah. weird. Um. Yeah, I, I do. I do think it's weird in one of the opening scenes, like after I, the old man and his cleaner crew go, go to the aftermath of when each is killing. There's like literally blood slather in every circus. It's like, they, but they had like CG blood dripping down from the wall. I figured like, can they just had like actual like fake blood they just threw up there? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some weird choices with the CG, just in terms of like how it's used. But I feel like a practical effect would have been just as fine. Yeah, and each, each you know. Um, one of uh, one of the things about this about uh, the the character is that he has this. Uh, we don't even know if it's real. Um, it's a false memory at this point, where um, he he attempts to. Uh, he's getting bullied, and a girl attempts to save him, but this girl ends up getting raped by the bullies, and he doesn't do anything. And like he's constantly in conflict because he feels really sad, but also he wanted to rape this girl as well. Like it's, Jesus Christ. And also, like, footage they used was just, ugh. Yeah, and it's repeated multiple times throughout the movie, and it is really uncomfortable to watch. Uh, Definitely by design, but, ugh. Yeah. Put a reductive summary on Ichi's character. He's an incel. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. He He is a nice guy incel. And there's literally he literally has an actual nice guy moment later on in the film, like verbatim, what you would think, like, oh, I did this thing for you, therefore you should reciprocate with your affections and sex for me. That part of his characterization uh, and that critique of that, that type of person I think is one of the more effective critiques that this movie is posing. Well, yeah, be- it, because uh, when, he, uh, when he's watching that pimp beat you know the prostitute and then rapes her he uh he goes to where that prostitute works and he he pretty uh he pretty much gets like a a blow job from her and he asks her uh if he if he uh wants her to kill him and uh after her viciously getting beaten again and being raped he finally gets in there and he kills the man in the most like looney tunes he has he has these like weird like sneaky looking shoes and out of the back of the heel comes out a blade like and he a like one a, inch long a, blade yeah and he has like a high like kick or um not kick but like axe like, wing kick axe some something like that where like he brings his leg down and cuts the man uh in half uh all the way to his, vertically yeah into his torso <laughs> he cuts some hot dog style yeah <laughs> like and, but it, but this is definitely one of the uh the dodgy 1999 cg effects yeah. where he, he was just like this completely straight on like clear-cut meat on the middle it just splits apart with goo strings and then like just all the lunch meat spilled out of them yeah and, yeah. and, then, and, and, and this is the first time we actually see Ichi on screen kill someone before this we just see the aftermath of everything that yeah happens. and then he goes to the woman and he says don't worry I'm gonna beat you now which it is a good like critique of uh, the incel nice guy because that type of person tends to think it's like, oh, I'm not a misogynist. I'm not a sexist because I don't, you know, do the X, Y, and Z things. But they actually desire to do those things. It's just not under like the conventional masculine tra- 
trappings. They just don't realize that they're also a piece of shit. Yeah, basically. And a lack of self-awareness is deadly. Them not re- reciprocating their needs leads to more tragedy because that that same uh, prostitute, she ends up dead by his hands. Even though it's a really jarring moment where she tries to defend herself against him and then all of a sudden her decks just get slit and then gushing blood. Well, what hap- which well, I guess it's sort of like... What happens is she... Uh... Yeah, that, uh, like, she gets the bat and she gets to hit him, but, like, he does, like, a, he gets, like, really frustrated and does, like, a, a like a ballerina spin or twirl and cuts her neck. Like, yeah, he has a little tantrum because yeah. he's a little incel baby bitch that got mad when he couldn't get his way. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things me and Pat were talking about after we finished this movie last night was, you know, it says something when the most, quote, likable character is a Kakihara. <laughs> The, the literal sadomasochist. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and I think a lot of it, too, is he's definitely the most charismatic character. Yeah. Because, I mean, he has a cool design, and, and I mean, he just has that, this very cool yeah, type he, of persona. He has a charisma about it, and I know that was on time. I remember reading that uh, Mike like, intentionally made Kakihara more likable than his manga counterpart like making him more attractive making his like wardrobe better to make him more appealing to the cinema goers and i think in a lot of ways i don't know it feels weird that that does work because sometimes you you forget for just short moments that like oh he's he's this weird bloody insane person yeah because there's like several uh, there's like several serial killers who uh on record from reports of like people who've interacted with them they're like they're like oh they're really handsome or they're actually really nice or really charismatic. Yeah, yeah, they infamously about saying that about Ted Bundy, which um, he is ugly as yeah, shit. Yeah, and, 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 and thanks for whispering. I'm that. just saying that Ted Bundy's ugly as shit. I I, I, I agree, but that that's that's what a lot of people said. But uh, yeah, and I was look, I kind of was looking up just panels of the manga just to compare. And definitely Kakihara is more monstrous in design in the comics or in the manga. And, and I think that uh, making him more uh, like an attractive design really uh, highlights of how highlights how, you, you know, these these horrible people are not. No, they are mo- monstrous, but they are not monsters. I mean, they're humans. Yeah, there's, I mean. And humans are capable. Are, are completely capable of this type level of uh, yeah because monsters you know monsters is a term that refers to something as imaginary that doesn't exist Kakihara is a person and he's not, he doesn't look like he's gonna look like a person he's not gonna look like some kind of you know dark creature creeping in the night he literally he's gonna look like a human which he honestly didn't look human uh, <laughs> he looked uh, he looked pretty crazy um, especially in the one scene towards the end of the movie yeah uh <laughs> that that we'll get to yeah. but yeah and and i think because a lot of people tend to use you know uh like oh that person is a monster to kind of dismiss the fact that it's like oh he's an abnormality and, and to an extent that person is but it, i think it also kind of undersells the fact that yeah like people are completely capable of doing these things and they're not necessarily insane you know they're completely in their right mind they're just this malicious yeah 
Oh, yeah. Because it can't always, it, you know, because, I mean, if, if everybody pleaded uh, insanity, uh, <laughs> all these horrible, terrible killers would have, you know, would get off. It's kind of hard to talk about this movie going in sort of like plot order like yeah. like we did with the first two. I And part of that, too, is because uh, even though, like like we said, this movie is very graphic, it's very violent. And as I said before, at a certain point, it just you, you just become numb to it. And some of it is like legitimately like framed comedically. Like whenever the guy was hanging up on the hooks and uh, he was torturing him from there. Uh, not necessarily that. The thing that I was thinking of is Ichi's first, like, killing spree, where he, uh, where his, uh, the hypnotist that's sort of controlling him and telling him to kill these people. He, you know, he's like, oh, these, these are the bullies, you need to go after them. And he goes into this room, and, and all you see is just this torrent of blood that shoots out the door. Like CG blood. Yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. looks it looks legitimately like wacky. Like it like it's a Looney Tunes cartoon. Like you see like flying out like head over heels out of the door. You literally see somebody's like face splat on a wall and slide down in blood. Like yeah. it, you can't help but like laugh, you know, just because of how absurd it is. Like and it's not just blood, it's like 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 you said, like faces, body parts, intestines. Yeah. And and then when there, there's a famous screenshot of the film uh, where Kakihara is looking at the aftermath of this, and it's just, I think it's actually the, the photo on the letterbox. It is. It's, it's the letterbox header for yeah. the movie. Yeah, and it's just, a, like, just, it, it doesn't even look like people. It's just viscera and gore. It's just like raw hamburger yeah. meat and just like body parts just strewn and the whole room is caked in blood. Th- that's part of the scale of it. It's just like how absurd the violence is. And it, and just knowing Mike like does these intentionally provocative things to, to make a statement. But, but something that Jonathan and I had talked about, that there comes a point where you have to recreate the thing you're commenting on. And, and when you do it to like a certain level, it, it's kind of hard to separate the thing you're critiquing to what you're actually doing. And another problem with Mike, like he definitely has a tendency to revel and whatever violence having reproduced on screen. Yeah, it's like the like a lot of people will say you you really can't make an anti-war movie because war in our the lizard part of our brain is just inherently, you know, stimulating and exciting. So, you know, it's you know, when you see like a lot of very very pro-military people who say their favorite movies are like Apocalypse Now and Full Metal Jacket, it's like it's like how do you not see that this? These is are all anti-war movies. <laughs> yeah, these yeah. these are uh, satires or parodies. Like the the horror or or just like oh, of all like criticisms, but because they have to recreate that to order and comment on it. Yeah, because because you know it shows yeah. it shows the horror, especially in like when when you look at Full Metal Jacket, like with uh, with the training of the Marines and then how they treat the oh, Vietnamese yeah. people. It's like when you, because uh, yeah. I, I, man, I remember being around so many of these, like these, these jerks who were like this, who were just like, oh yeah, this movie's awesome, like this is awesome, like uh, no, it's not. <laughs> you have, you have no, no. It's well, just and, physical, and, mental and abuse. Sort of, uh, yeah, yeah, and to sort of put it in pers- uh, kind of just use uh, Full Metal Jacket as an example, I saw that movie admittedly way too young. 
because the same boat. Because I remember there were definitely parts of that movie that really affected me, but like uh, specifically the the opening like ten fifteen minutes of that movie, I used to think were fucking hysterical. You know, because, you know, this dumb, edgy teenager, you know, you have Arlie Ermey just screaming all these obscenities at these people. But now, looking back on that scene, it's horrifying at how dehumanizing. Yeah, and like, and if I was ever in that situation, I I would want to put up with it. I would cry. Yeah, I wouldn't want to put up with it. I would just leave, or I would punch him in the face. (laughs) Like, I I don't... Yeah, but 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 in the context of Vietnam, you can't. uh, Nope. But and then just to bring that to this movie to Ichi the Killer, because uh, that's the thing. They're like I think thematically, this movie is really thought provoking and really interesting. Uh, just of you know talking you know on how violence is very seductive and cyclical. Because one scene I thought that kind of go off on a tangent that did this effectively was when Ichi. Uh, ran into those kids that oh uh, yeah and he that, fucking that bullying. kicks the kid yeah where he uh he kicks the kid and and you know it's this very i mean uh, it, relative to the rest of the movie it's not that violent <laughs> but i mean he does harm a child no it's insane uh, <laughs> but then again at that but, point i was like fuck them kids so yeah yeah fuck them kids fuck them but then uh you see the kid who was getting bullied later on in the movie he's like i want to be like this man who saved me, you know, I want to be violent and powerful. And, and that's a, and I think that re- sells the, the theme of the movie better than just all the, the violence, the, the rape and everything else. Yeah. Uh, because that kid, um, I think his name is Takashi. His father, uh, was actually, um, was, uh, was part of the Andro group, which is, what uh um, Mm -hmm. oh my god i forgot his name already uh kakihara kakihara was leading um on you know anju was the man died so they just called themselves the anju group um he was a part of that group and he was dedicated to that group because he originally was a cop lost his gun but he was like an olympic level shooter um and he got and he was getting beat up one day but he was saved by the andre group boss and they took him in and he just became a part of the yakuza and you know that's also another example of like how um using violence to solve matters to solve conflict it's just it's just this horrible cycle and um but so but my biggest problem with this movie is besides the fact that there's tons of just obscenity is that like for the most part, like when I say it's boring, like I mean I really like it had it didn't interest me. Like the the violence and the gore and stuff, it was just I looked at it and I was just like I would cringe. I was like, it's just disgusting. It was off. But then Kakihara, his little um whatever his little quest, it just he um he goes from like torturing uh person to person and then like later they just you know, they find out Anjo, the boss that he's looking for, is dead. Like he was killed in the vi- And he's been dead. He's been dead. <laughs> For the entirety of the movie. And then his group is uh, uh, thrown out of the Yakuza. So, like, now they're Anjo. Anjo's group is, like, fighting against the Yakuza. But they don't really fight against the Yakuza. They never come to conflict again. Um, and then, then the rest of the movie is just kind of them looking for Ichi. Now, now I will say, that they're talking about that there is one scene that I, I genuinely found funny. That was one, yes. The, the, I think the, the, we're talking about the same one. 
Uh, that when, was when uh, they they officially kick uh, Kakihara and his posse out, and he and he's like, "All right." He walks out the door, and then walks back in. He's like, "Oh, by the way, I'm taking over the Anju group," and walks back out. And everyone is like, Fuck! "Oh yeah, I thought that was funny too." That's but not the, even the scene I was talking what, what? about. Huh? I was thinking of the scene where the old man takes off. Oh his my god! And he's a huge buff guy. <laughs> he, it, it is. I forgot, is, about, I that. forgot about that god. too. There's literally a part in the movie, okay, where the one of the last guys remaining in the Andra group uh, is out to take a smoke, and then the old man who's the hypnotist who's been hypnotizing Ichi, he's like, "You're too, you're too much of a gorilla for Ichi to worry about." So he takes off his clothes and he takes off his shirt, and you just see this washboard abs. I'm like, okay, this is kind of interesting. Takes off all of his clothes bodybuilder literally a bodybuilder body uh with his head uh poorly like poorly photoshopped like put onto this man's and and he's even wearing the bodybuilder like thong or whatever and he's literally flexing like a bodybuilder literally doing poses (laughs) and then that's the only part that i love oh my god it was so freaking good and and he literally breaks this man. Like, he, he breaks him. Grabs his head, you hear a crunchy sound, and then it cuts to Kakihara gang in their suite. They come out, and he just, like, you just see that dude's, like, crumpled body, like, just squished on the floor. And you're just like, yo, that's messed up. <laughs> that was a, that was an insane scene. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, I totally uh, agree with uh, what you were saying, Wenzel. Like, the, the actual, like, sort of plot of the movie was, was definitely... It just wasn't... It gets lost. Because it's like, if they would have kept up this bit of uh, of uh, Kakihara, like, like Ichi is some, like, undiscoverable killer, and he's holding Anjo hostage, you know? But also, Kakihara is also looking for somebody that matches sadomasochistic, you know, desires, you know, like this, this showdown, like, yeah. and and then even in the end though, like, like this, it, it was pretty, um, uh, I don't want to say crazy. It was, it was definitely something. Yeah. Uh, I de- like, and even like outside of like the viscera and violence, like you said, this movie is very unfocused. Like it, it's all over the place and there's a lot of redundancy I feel like, like, even characters that feel redundant. Because, like, the uh, the older brother to the kid who's also part of the Anjo group, to me, he just feels like a lighter version of Ichi's character. Uh, uh, Kaneko, the uh, the father of Takeshi. Yeah, because he, he, he goes through, like, this a similar type of art. Well, we don't, do we, but, uh, I don't, I mean, I'm not even looking at anything. Do we know if Kaneki was his actual older brother because the hypnotist just said that's your older brother make sure you say hello like that's it that's all we got yeah and and there's like this of this intentional ambiguity especially at the end of the movie where like is kakihara really dead well that was actually but but that was actually one thing i did look up uh yes he what happened should we go in the ending I guess there is a, a couple points I wanted to make. I want the, the ending to yeah. be a, its own conversation because it's, okay. it's there's a lot going on. One one of the big things I took from the movie that we sort of touched on was the incel nature of Ichi. Is that what I found so I guess striking about his character? What they showing how dangerous these sort of milk toast young men are mm-hmm. because 
because they are nothing, they have like the potential to become something like dangerous. Because they are, they do, they feel, they feel disaffected. They feel disenfranchised, alienated. All those feelings sort of stew up, and they sort of just in their own head, and that that kind of turns into the negative thoughts. But even more than that is how easily manipulated and molded they are, which which we see t- to this day, like all these you know young men online who are sort of alienated. And then they're sort of co-opted by these bigger hate groups, and they turn them into weapons, which is what happened with each oh, yeah. year. Yeah, and, and, and it's a very intentional thing. Like, something a lot of people don't realize was, like, Steve Bannon kind of weaponized the, a lot of Gamergate. And, and, it's, and it's very much you see that with the, the hypnotist who's just kind of nudging him along and telling him, oh, you can do so much for society, you can be this hero, but... At the end of the day, he's committing these horrible atrocities. Yeah, I mean, but 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 in his in his messed up psyche, that that's he thinks he's doing what's right. Which, which I think is like a, like one of the biggest statements from the film. And the other is sort of uh, like imagination being placement for reality when reality is insufficient to your needs. You create this imaginable thing that provides you in its place, which is what Kakihara's character is about. Like, yeah, because like he he constantly wants this this dragon he's chasing in terms of like fulfillment, but he can never get it because one, he's sort of, he's become numb to all the violence he's committed, but also he's imagining this uh, impossible ideal that he, that he can't catch. And I think that's a, that's a very powerful statement in the film. And plus as Akihara becomes numb to all the violence that he's done, I feel like in a way you can become numb to all the violence in the movie. It just, cause it's just, it's just sort of a bombardment of just, just visceral content. Yeah. And, and, if the movie, and this is where the movie, I think, debatably succeeds, is because, like, yeah, I mean, it does become, you know, kind of rote by the by the time you get to the end. But but talking about uh, Kakihara's sort of character arc, and, and another character we haven't talked about yet, whose name is legitimately Karen. Yep. <laughs> which, like, just sort of a pet peeve. Like, why was she, like, going out in and out of, like, English and Japanese. Uh, I don't know. I think it was just a Takashi thing. Look, like, to me, it. that that just definitely felt, like, very incidental, you know? It was like, oh, I'm just going to do this because I'm quirky. If she's, like, this escort, she's showing, like, how refined she is. Like, if she's able to more or less seamlessly jump between multiple languages, it's like, I come highly regarded. Like, I'm a very oh, skilled okay. escort. So, like, her demonstrating all her different abilities on, on top of her attractiveness makes her a more valuable asset to these high-paying men she can company. Mm-hmm. But I guess a damning thing about her character that she's very much in the same position. Like, she's a very sadomasochistic person. Like, she's actively longing and engaging for, like, dangerous physical and sexual behavior. And that ultimately becomes her undoing. Yeah, and, and, it, uh, and Kakihara even gets, like, because they kind of have this this re- quote relationship where, uh, you know, he he wants her to beat you know beat him to a pulp, but he 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 just keeps saying he's like you are not this type of person, even though she's trying to I hate to say self actualize, but you know, and, and you know she ends up uh, 
basically trying to seduce Ichi, who then kind of has a mental snap and ends up killing her. Because she's chasing an idea of this pleasure through violence, and then she realizes that it's, it's a much darker, much more visceral thing than she's ever prepared for, and mm-hmm. she pays dearly for that. Yeah, and, and the same with the, uh, the, the former cop. Uh, the same with Kakihara himself. Like the only time he gets the satisfaction is as he's falling to his death. And I think that you bridge that gap, getting into the finale, we sort of we have the remnants of the two groups. We have Ichi and we have Kakihara, and their sort of final confrontation, where Ichi sort of has Kakihara on the ropes for the, the biggest part of this, but then. Kaneko undercuts the moment by crippling Ichi by shooting out his legs. Mm-hmm. And this sort of breaks Kakihara's high. Like, he was, sort of, he was right there. It's like, I, I, was fight, I was fearing for my life, and he took it away. And then Ichi sort of reduced to this blubbery mess, even though he always sort of, because of his psychological trauma, psychosexual trauma, like, he always is crying and screaming whenever he's perpetrating his violence. It's just here, like, he's... he's completely ineffective now like he can't do anything yeah and he also killed Kaneki uh, oh yeah that that was rough. yeah because uh when he when he does is he does his like signature kick or whatever cuts Kaneki's throat but literally as after that happens his son is also on the roof of the building and comes up to see his father die in front of him it's yeah. another uh, this second and, and, movie out of the ones we've talked about where a son gets to watch yeah. his dad die yep and, and then the little kid gets decapitated by Ichi. Or does he? What happens is uh, Kakihara is like, ah, oh, man, I lost my high. Like, uh, you selfish. Like, he's talking to Kaneki's dead body. Um, the kid comes over to the blubbering mess that is Ichi and starts just kicking him, just beating the crap out of him. And uh, we have this moment where Kakihara is like, he decides to take his, like, pins, his needle pin needles, and stick them in his ears, and he makes himself deaf. And then everything turns into this, like, like blue grayish hue and you see him look up and uh uh ichi is cut off the head of this kid and it's like it's like a it's like a weird moment where it's like what it's like it's like even with all everything that's happened it's still just kind of like shocking and uh, he drops the head goes over and um attempts uh well he kicks not kicks him but he does his signature move and the blade doesn't make it all the way through it cuts his face and then he ends up uh doing like this he ends up getting kicked and doing this flip onto the railing and then finally falls to his death and um the hypnotist comes up to his body to investigate it and when he uh, looks at his head the cut that we see isn't there and and then there's like kind of this flash where i guess kakihara is like maybe in hell or something because he's like in some kind of like tub and it's like blue hue again and uh the hypnotist kind of like doesn't smile and then there's another flash where you just see the kid still uh kicking ichi and uh from i looked up and what it is is that uh kakihara does fall to his death but in that moment he just imagines what happens with ichi so in reality ichi is still on the roof crying getting kicked by this kid and kakihara just fell to his death so the uh Blade to the face was completely just, just a hallucination, just something he in, in, in his mind. Because essentially, because he can't get this high anymore, as I read it, Kakihara commits suicide because, like, he was so close to the edge and he can't get that anymore. 
So he decides that he, he jumps off. And so he imagines one last time what would have been his final high. But even though we have this sort of amb- and just sort of weird moment, there's still this strange ambiguity to the ending that I had no really clue what happened because you see uh, you see a tree with a with a man's body hanging from it and an older boy and what it sounds like from what I've read the body that's hanging from the tree that's the old man hypnotist and the and the boy is an older Kakeshi because that is a I guess a reference to the manga where at the end of the end of the manga Ichi is sort of he's defeated but he goes on to be essentially live like a normal life. And the old man, he takes Takeshi and, and starts molding him to be a killer, like he did with Ichi. That ended the manga, ended the movie, sort of flipping the script, where ostensibly an older Takeshi uh, rebels against Gigi and kills him. But it's still like a very weird, ambiguous choice to end the movie on. Yeah, it's definitely intentionally muddled, and I don't know how effective it is. Yeah. But, but kind of talk... On that similar point, uh, one of the things I do admire about this movie and Dead or Alive does pretty well as does good as well is uh, subjective filmmaking, where the 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 camera move like the just like all the camera tricks that's done really in, in, informs the viewer on the the fractured psyche of the characters, mm-hmm. like especially with. The seg- segments focusing specifically on Ichi, it's very fragmented. It's very, a lot of shaky cam, very, like, slowed down, sped up sort of things. Uh, and I think that that's really, that, that's really effective. And, and, and it just, this movie frustrates me because there's a lot about it I really enjoy. But then there's just as much, if not more, that really brings it down. Like even outside, even outside of the violence, I feel like the script is not as tight as a lot. Of, like this movie, out of all the ones we watched, I, I, it definitely felt like, oh yeah, he. This movie was made in like two weeks, you know, but because of like because t- uh, of Miike's just like frantic schedule, yeah. it just felt like this movie was. It definitely has some like artistic merits, but it feels like it was. I can I can see that. Um... Something also, I don't know if we mentioned it, but a really good scene in my opinion, and another really weird use of CG was when um, this guy, uh, Long, he uh, tries to punch uh, Kakihara in the face, but beforehand, Kakihara takes out his um, his piercings uh, for his smile, and when he punches him, <laughs> literally his hand go like he has, his mouth opens and his hand goes in, and it's just this weird like CG moment where. He just looks like this monster devouring this man's hand. Like yeah, and he uh, he yeah. kind of reminds me. Uh, this was on one of our I think cryptid episodes or whatever a while back, where somebody talked about this um, this Japanese in Japanese folklore. There's this uh, spirit, this woman yeah. who the split mouth. Yeah, woman. yeah, split mouth woman who will ask you, you know, if, if you think she's pretty, literally looks like that. And um, he actually uh, when he pulls his towel, he literally tears off the top half of his of his uh fit of his skin it was pretty crazy in my opinion yeah that that was one of the scenes like i i knew was going to happen but even then it was just like what yeah. the fuck <laughs> just you seeing that that guy like pull his hand back out of cocky hard mouth but cocky hard seat scrape off the flesh ah! of the man's hand you just see like the his bones the and bones shit. and the tendons that's sort of like a like, like whoa big sort of crazy moment uh, like to jonathan's point even though I gave this movie a two and a half out of five, like I feel like 
yes, of course, there's there's the the objectivity of the, of the violence in it, which is you know a whole other thing. But to me, like I don't think the movie is bad. It's just I don't feel like it's the stuff that it does outside of its gratuity is really to like my taste and interest in storytelling. To me, like I, I'm I'm more ambivalent toward the movie than like outright disliking it. And just on top of its very idiosyncratic storytelling and just sort of the the visceral content, it is hard to watch and it's hard to recommend ultimately because I was very interested to see this is one of if not his most well-known and most acclaimed movie and I was wondering what the reaction would be from the group once we saw it. Yeah, uh, and, and the, it's just one of those things where like as as we've had this discussion, it's like, yeah, we, there's a lot of thematic relevance and character relevance to the violence and stuff, but it still has this air of literally being like edgy for the sake of being edgy. Shot for the sake of yeah. shot. Yeah, and and to me that that part of it is nowhere near as interesting. Like just that intentionally provocative, and there's nothing wrong with being intentionally provocative, but I don't know. I don't think the point you're trying to make by being this provocative is strong enough to warrant yeah. it. I mean, you know, when when you have when you have something provocative, but then you also have something that's kind of like has substance to kind of go with that, it makes sense. Or, it, you know, it, it works nicely. But this, like, to me personally, there was no substance. It was just provocative, obscene. Like, and the thing is, is like, I, I disagree slightly. Like, I, I do believe there's substance there, but I think just the excess and extremity of it undercuts that and that's substance. fair that's completely i i i can understand that you know that that definitely is which honestly honestly i think might is is honestly worse than it being having a lack of substance <laughs> um uh, I, yeah i mean I, I wouldn't recommend the movie at all um that's just my opinion personally i hate this i did not like the uh, violence i didn't I thought the story was, ah, it was a little, uh, yeah. I didn't really care for it. Um, just chill with the violence, stop it, chill. If I watched this as a 13-year-old, I probably would have loved it, because I was an edgy little shit. Oh, oh yeah, I was too. everyone else here would probably do the same thing. Oh, yeah, 100%. But now that I'm an adult, and I understand what life, what happens in life, all of this is bad. I hated it. I don't want to watch it ever again. And I honestly, don't you know, that was something I was it. telling the Colt was that literally while I was watching it, I just kept looking at my phone and the time. I was like, when is this movie going to end? <laughs> like two hours, man. Yeah. Like, like me and, and I think Pat as well, we were kind of, you know, we were engaged enough with the movie, but there was a point we had to pause it. And, and I was like, okay, it has to be, you know, almost over. And it was like like almost thirty to forty minutes left, and I was like, <laughs> "Fuck!" <laughs> kind of like with Dead or Alive, they were had a climax and it was winding back down, but then it still has this extra chunk of movie to go. So, as for me, in terms of recommendation, I would be as it'd be a very cautious recommendation. Mm-hmm. I'd be cautious who I spoke with about who I recommended to, because I, I think I'm more with Winslow and Cole. Hey. Like, oh. I don't think like. <sighs> Like, if you are interested in, like, looking at Mike's work and you have not seen this movie, 
like definitely check it out. It's it's one yeah. of his it is one of his more important movies, but outside of that, like I couldn't recommend this to average Joe Schmo yeah. moviegoer. Yeah. Cuz like my big thing is I always want people to de- form their own opinions. I don't want to tell I mean, people 100%. Everyone should understand for themselves and see for themselves to form their own opinion. Yeah, I I 100% agree. And what's kind of fucked up is apparently this is not his most fucked up movie. What? Yeah, there there, there is one movie Jonathan and I d- discussed briefly after this uh, called Visitor Q, and just reading about it. Oh. If you thought some of the stuff in Each of the Killer was bad, just like reading, I like, like if we were on YouTube, I think we would get demonetized for explaining the plot. Yeah, it's <laughs> that what? it's that fucked up. Yeah. Okay. Also, I gotta say, auditions nothing. Oh, business. auditions nothing. Like, I mean, oh, she ate some vomit, or he ate some vomit. That's gross. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, he cut. She cut off his foot with piano wire. That's child's play. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. mean, I could, I could recommend audition. I couldn't recommend this. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I love. I think audition is probably my favorite of his movies, and 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 part of it is it's it it is. There are like fucked up moments, but it's really it's more mature and restrained. Whereas this, similar to Kakihara, I felt like Mike had to because he was known. Uh, he at least gained like worldwide recognition with Audition, and Audition was very notorious because everyone was like, "What the fuck!" It, it felt like this was like, "Oh, you thought Audition was fucked? Watch this!" You know. But it, it's just so weird as as a director who made. Just like a, I'm a Compton movie like Each of the Killer in 2001. And then literally this same year drops the final movie of our discussion for this episode, Happiness of the Cotter Curries, which is, which I would say is a movie that defies most genre placement. This, the tone of this is about to change yeah. a lot. I'll just go ahead and say that. It's, it's a very I'm glad we saved it for last because it's so freaking good. <laughs> like, I remember seeing the, the poster that's on Letterboxd for it, and I couldn't help but uh, it gave off Haosu vibes. And, and oh boy, yeah. was that accurate. Because you know, this and, movie is and the, the tagline, same sort of wacky. The, the tagline for it is... Uh, is uh, uh, the Sound of Music meets Dawn of the Dead. And I was like, what does that mean? And boy, was I surprised. <laughs> because it is, it is a musical. And, and like... It's also a comedy and also a horror movie and also a claymation puppet show. Yeah, it is just... As soon it, it is a, an, an amalgam <laughs> of all sorts of wacky, fun shit. So, Man. Like, I feel like this is... This is a personification of Mikie's uh, unconscious self. It's just like just like his complete dreamscape just let loose. So to get into Happiness of the Katakuris, came out 2001, like we said. It is currently streaming on Tubi, YouTube, Google Play, Amazon Prime, and iTunes. And the, the film follows a family living in the mountainside that is running a struggling bed and breakfast. And as they sort of desperately try to get customers, once they sort of get a little bit of headway, a lot of unfortunate incidents befall the family and just leads into a spiral of bizarre episodes. It's like 
literally like with their first like at, like first it's bizarre then it gets bizarre again and it just like as soon as the first musical number kicks in i was like all right this movie is this is for me this is i love this movie <laughs> it kicked in uh spoilers by the way it kicked in they discovered whenever, the first body uh, the, okay it's been i first watched this movie in the, when the quarantine started they just recently watched it so they're gonna be reminding me yeah yeah because like me and pat watched it today i technically watched it today too it was like one so <laughs> one in the morning and i did want to mention this is actually um based off another property this is very loosely based on the south korean film the quiet family so that's also on Ooh. amazon prime I, I will have to check that out at some point but but the first the just first is compared to you because the first guess i can only imagine the first guest uh sharpens their uh their key like what they would like this thing they have for their keys sharpens it and just commits suicide stabs himself in the neck which is a weird way to kill themselves and as soon as the family bust, uh opens the door bam musical number and like the uh the son the son who is like who is like a criminal but now he's out of jail and he kind of like helping his family just starts like it's so theatric like the, his theatrics are just i love them he's just like ah like ah ah like it's just so good it's so freaking good oh my god i love it it's it's very much shot and choreographed like like a rogers and hammerstein type of musical from the 50s and 60s it, it's just like when when it says like the the sound of music meets dawn of the dead like like especially the sh of the shots in the field and the bright blue sky that shit is straight out of the sound oh of yeah music. oh yeah it is it, it's just uh i do want to say we, we did bury the lead a little bit because the movie opens with a young woman eating the soup in a restaurant when this claymation imp rises up from it and where it um, falls in love oh, with her yeah. uvula and ganks it out and then has this weird dithering journey of it chasing it, it, it being eaten and reborn and by multiple times. Like it gets eaten by a crow then the eye, and its eyeball falls into a makeshift teddy bear which kills the crow. And then it's just this utterly surreal, like slightly horrific a claymation journey of just like imp and how it leads into the the family and their setting. Yeah, and it like it never appears again. Un unless it appears, or not the bird. I'm the thinking claymation. claymation appears, of course. The, yeah, the but that, that like not. imp, none of that has anything to do with the rest of the movie. I, I, and I wonder if that's like like some like cultural thing that's lost in translation, or if it's just just that wacky i feel like just knowing uh Mika, it's just it's just a big long non sequitur yeah and, and just sort of how this movie is constructed yeah it, it that it, it i lean more towards it's just kind of this <laughs> non sequitur that leads into uh this tale about this family who is uh it, it uh, it's trying this, to survive but also just trying to happy. survive because there's the main owner of the... Because the family runs this, like, little bed and breakfast house. And, and uh, they they opened it up because the 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 main patriarch of the family, he, uh, 
he thought he was going to get this big retirement with his job. He gets fired, and he was like, well, I'm going to do this to sort of uh, s- sort of satisfy, you, you know, well, give me something to do. Well, no, what, hap- what happens is when he gets fired, one of his friends tells him that in this area there's going to be a big highway that's going to be built. And if, that, and if you buy this property and this highway is built, that means that you'll get a lot of customers coming in from the highway. Yeah, but but the, it turns out there's not a lot of customers, and then uh, he it's run they he runs it with his wife. Uh, They're two adult children. Uh, his father and um, his and, daughter brings along her her young her young daughter. Yeah, so it's it is a very and, and they're all very like out like they they're all very wacky like the. Like his daughter is very, like love struck and falls in love with like the first person that gives her attention. The uh, her brother is like apparently was this ne'er do well, and criminal who's like trying to reform and like the family like for like the first half of the movie is like, well I think he he did something to this body you know I think he stole this wallet. He used to and, like and then, to do that. <laughs> And then the uh, his and then uh, the main owner's dad is just kind of this old kind of this old eccentric because he he literally <laughs> yeah. uh, gets pooped on by a crow <laughs> and he like like lines up this shot and just flings a log at it and smacks the crow and he has the dog eat the crow. The yeah. dog's name the dog's name is Pochi <laughs> by the way Pochi. That was a great way to start with the, the just log being thrown at the fucking bird, and he's like, yeah! <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, so where do we want to start with this movie? Well, we we already kind of uh, did, I mean, we, <laughs> Jonathan. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, where we're at is they did a musical with the first dead but body they, they find. <laughs> But then they do, uh, I think they do another one with the second. Well, what happens is the second time, you know, uh, a patron dies is they have this really, really uh, obese man come in with his... Uh, young very very young girlfriend and i mean he he's a sumo wrestler yeah that's sort of what was implied yeah he's a celebrity and he uh he ends up having he ends up having sex with his girlfriend and uh he um emphasis on the girl because she's really young she's really young it's it kind of it's more or less implied that she's a high schooler and he's they're having like this illicit affair but then like he like he's just pounding away and then he like dies mid-coitus and then as he dies, he falls on top of her, suffocating her to death. So there's like now there's two bodies they have to get rid of, but one's like this very large man. And, and it's sort of this comedy of errors as they're trying to get the body <laughs> out the door and get it buried. And out the window, that scene where it's like, okay, we're gonna lower the sumo wrestler out of this window, and they just nearly drop the sumo wrestler. Yeah, because the, the yeah. because the mom was like, laughing. he's not breakable, and so the father just lets him go. <laughs> <laughs> like oh my god it's so it, it was pretty funny and um uh but then like uh later the uh the daughter uh who who has a child she uh she kind of goes out to town with her daughter because she's still of course looking for love and uh the first kind of like person she kind of attaches to and she also has a musical number which is great um the first person she attaches to is this really ugly looking uh guy who was wearing like a naval uniform 
He's okay. a U.S. He's a sailor. He's, he's a, a U.S. sailor, but, family. Is, but he's also part of the British uh, Royal Navy. Okay. Yeah, dog. Yeah, hold on. But if anybody's confused, let me tell you. He is in the U.S. Navy, but to be more precise, he's part of the British Royal Navy. But to even be more precise, he is a uh, secret intelligent, a secret agent. And to be more precise, he's related to the royal family. The English royal family. Yes. And, and, and the, the daughter, she's so naive, she sort of buys it. Which is... Yeah. It's funny because his name is Richard. Richard. So... Dick. Yeah, and he is a dick. Uh, yeah. Because uh, she has like this big fanciful like like flowery like song and dance where they like meet and they're like betrothed and then that's, that's all in imagine, her imagination because it cuts to her just like literally writhing on the floor <laughs> just like humming the song and he's kind of like um and, and every, hey are you okay and, her, and everyone else is kind of like what the fuck is this bitch doing and her daughter that, that was the first time her, i literally bust out laughing in this movie no just and, like wiggling on the floor <laughs> and her daughter is literally sitting there eating ice cream just watching her do this and it's just and it's such a funny bit too because when she finally comes to she's like oh look at this Beautiful baby. <laughs> when he's pointed to her daughter. <laughs> and uh, actually, there was a, there's a moment during the song and dance number where he's, uh, he's like floating or whatever. And then his neck breaks. And he's just sitting there. Like he's like, he literally hung himself. <laughs> it was like a really weird moment. I was like, what the, like, what is this? Yeah, because as, as he's flying, like these, these windows fly open and the confetti kind of can't shoot out. But... At the same time, it looks like it looks like, like he got shot by the confetti. So he's like he's dead for a few seconds, and he's resurrected by the true love's first kiss. And then they 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 resume the song and dance. Yeah, it, it's it's it, it's uh, pleasantly bizarre. Uh, and, and and then there's like weird moments in the movie where it's like the it skips and kind of rewinds like. Like a couple seconds. I think that just might have been our our streamer. What was that our stream? I mean, I was assuming that was our streamer because what happened with us? We were watching it on Tubi, which is a free streaming service, where it would kind of like it would play a scene and then it would like go back like half a second and replay that. I mean, I was assuming that was just our our streaming scooping up. Yeah, no, that was you because on Amazon Prime that didn't happen. It, it just kind of yeah, there wasn't happen. any sort of breaks with it. No. Okay, nah. then edit that out. <laughs> because you don't, because I, mean, you don't have to. I, I, legit, <laughs> I legit thought that was, like, intentional because the movie was just so wacky. Nah. That it's like, okay, we're rewinding it a few seconds every so often. Okay. Nah. Nah, that's Tubi. Fuck Tubi. No, fuck Tubi, I guess. Tubi has a lot of uh, free stuff on there and, like... It's free with ads. We we literally got one ad at the whole time. Did we even get an ad with uh, Akata Curry? I don't even remember. At the very beginning. He just said And yeah. also, Tubi is one of the um, only places where you can legally stream um, tokusatsu shows. Oh. So, which is which is really good for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's why Pat I mean, knows yeah, about it. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I never used Tubi. I'm not, I'm not a Tubi hater. Uh, yeah, but back to Katakuri's. What an amazing movie! Oh my god, 
It's a genuinely really funny, and it was very fun it, to yeah, watch. Yeah, it, it had me down to the last minute, in my oh, opinion. I oh for sure, it. like I was I was just laughing, like hooping and all around. I loved it, man. Like everything, just about it. The music, the the characters, like and like we should say, like every like every family member is literally like they're literally their own like just unique character. There's just something about them. And they're all likable in their own way. Yeah, because like, because like, it's not like the the grandpa is like you know too old or like uh, cantankerous in any. No, way. he's like he's like uh, he's he's uh, he's kind of he's fun. You know, he cares for their dog. Uh, he really cares for their dog. Yeah, he really likes Pochi. I like Pochi. Um, you know the Pochi's cute. You uh, the father, you know, just wants to have his family together the wife just wants to support her husband you know all like and the son just wants to be reformed and uh the the daughter just wants to take care of her daughter while also looking for love you know there's there's they're just all wonderful like even though they're hiding bodies <laughs> yeah the whole time they're just hiding bodies just to make sure their business doesn't go yeah go under yeah. because uh the the dad is so scared that any sort of negative, like any press about people dying at this place, will cause no one to go there. Yeah, like so he's like, "Oh, we gotta hide the body," so they keep burying them out in the woods. Yeah, superstition. And uh, I, and they don't intentionally kill anyone. I don't think it's, it's I don't... all just like bad luck. All the people that die on their premises are just kind of like these weird happenstances. Yeah. Like with uh, the main guy, he just, he was suicidal so he killed himself and then like the, the two, uh, the couple, they sort of had this weird accident where they both died and then the uh, the third incident is when Richard resurfaces he's, when he's, he's trying to like, trying to pull the wool over um, Chizue, the daughter, mm-hmm. even more but he's, but he just like stumbles through the wood and drinks out of like a poison pond so he's just like on the verge of shooting himself for like <laughs> The, the whole like second half of the movie, <laughs> and uh, like she she falls for the hook line and thinking like he's really covered in dirt and just like oh the, he's my prince charming. And, and one of my favorite exchanges is he comes to the hotel and she gets him a room and she's like, "Do you want something to eat?" And he's like, "I want to eat you." And she faints at this uh, the statement. And and like you can just hear his tummy rubbling because he has to shit himself. It's. And, you know, yeah, and, but and he, he doesn't go to the bathroom. He he's just like, fucking, you know, just not shitting. And you, you just hear like that. You know, Jonathan. At some point, when you were shitting yourself, it just stops coming out, and you have your own shit diaper. <laughs> but you know, the thing is, uh, no shit. The thing is, though, he uh, he changes his pants later because because at some point it sounds like he like he like completely just obliterates his pants and he changes. And he, and he gives himself a haircut, which man, he looks like a he just looks like a weird dude. And um, like they said, he try, he tries to swindle her out of some money. And um, and earlier there's a uh, there's actually um, a reference to him because the uh, police officer comes over and gives him a post that shows people that's that are in the area that are wanted, and he's actually on it. And um, and he uh, he notices that the grandfather notices this, and he um. So he go and so he goes to kind of like kind of spy on them, and uh, he um, he attempts to attack Richard with, with a piece of wood, and fails. Um, but also Richard has to shit his pants, so 
there's that and it, we also get a moment where like they turn into claymation and they're kind of struggling fighting and they they go uh, they go over a, a ledge that for some reason drops down into this deep 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 ravine and um they're hanging on for dear life and uh the daughter is like struggling on what to do because richard's trying to kill her grandfather and she uh but she also likes this guy and um so she just uh, uh, uh she slowly starts to kick a rock off the off the cliff edge and uh it falls hits richard and then he falls down to the ravine and quote dies unquote and um but later he uh, he crawls all the way back to the hotel or no not the hotel the guest house and um he asks for a phone and he calls all these, I guess, people, women, and tells them sorry. And then he finally dies. And that's when also the daughter learns that that he could not have been in the U.S. Army as part of the Royal British Navy as a and, and, and like a lost descendant of Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth herself. Yeah, um, because they because they look at his jacket and um, it's from a. Uh, some kind of like Hollywood company or something. I can't remember. Costume. Yeah, it, it's a pro, it's it's a prop, it's a prop for and a, um, a movie studio. Yeah. So Richard's dead. Thank goodness. Yeah. How does uh it lead to the eventual like the whole house is moved? I I I'm so okay. I'm trying to remember okay. how. So that this is because I remember um they because it's a whole plot where they, uh, the. the 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 road that's going to be put in it, it's sort of that runs through where they're keeping the bodies so they're going to move that and then actually come him out one last time after do we, do we can we mention the uh, the zombie dance sequence when they when they try to go yes. move the bodies <laughs> yeah that 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 was something of course they imagine this zombie dance sequence because the, the little girl, when she's playing in the woods, the, she notices uh, all the bodies have been unearthed by like the, the geothermic activity that's been happening, and then they all kind of like, oh, the bodies that they had like this big song and dance number with all the people that died as their zombies. So anyway, they come they come back from that and they see these police cars coming up and they think, oh no, they found out about us. They're coming to arrest us, but while they're having this big song and dance about the grandpa or the son sacrificing himself for the good of the family where the where the son gives his most flamboyant theatrical dance sequence it's amazing about being a man and stepping up we we know the family doesn't know that their most recent guest is an escaped criminal who's hiding out in their house so while the whole time they're doing this big number the police are actually coming for him yeah but th- but they think they're coming for them so the grandpa is like I'm going to take it I'm going to take one for the team. The son and his grandson's like, no, I'm taking it for the team. And it's, it's just wacky. And, 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 and then, and then they walk up to the police and the, the grandpa like holds out his hands to be cuffed. And they just like walk past. They him. literally, and he just collapses out of embarrassment. And, and, uh, when they do that, they're like, Hey, uh, this is your grandfather's give him back his towel or cloth. And, uh, I guess because he overhears that they're looking for this, uh, for this uh killer or whatever he um he he falls over but i think because they they come up with a with a lie saying that like our our grand the my father's senile he's crazy and then you see him fall over and he's like 
oh, there's a crow! And then he, like, goes to, and he actually throws another log and hits it dead on, kind of, like, to be like, ah, you know, completely detracting from what what he was, you know, thought he was being arrested for. Um, and, you know, uh, this killer, this killer, their, their guess, what happened was <laughs> they were actually digging a hole to move the bodies and, um... This killer fell in with his flat with these flowers, and the grandpa just started burying him. And he's like, the son's like, you can't do that. You can't bury him. So they take him back, and um, and over you know when they finally get back to their guest house with all the police there, uh, the mother goes in to check on him, but he uh, this killer ends up taking her hostage. Yeah, she uh, he he takes her hostage. And there's just this whole bit where they're trying to bargain with the the criminal, and he eventually lets lets her go, and and then a mudslide happens. Okay, okay, <laughs> no, yeah. what happens is uh, the, he lets her go because the the husband, the father, is begging, begging, pleading, take me instead, uh, because his killer killed his wife. Uh, I can't remember the reason why he did it, Girlfriend. but he killed, but he killed her because he loved her. And, um, the, the, the husband, the father's pleading, please don't kill her. I love her. Take me instead. So he lets her go. And then he's like, okay. And then he attempts to kill the father, but the son, uh, pushes him out of the way. But in doing oh, so, yeah. he ends up getting stabbed and there's blood on his shirt and he falls down. And it's just, this really, this really tender moment where it's like, Everybody is saying, or there's like kind of like a song where, oh, we have such a precious son, such a good son. And then they lift up his shirt and look at the wound. It's a scratch. <laughs> it's such a, it's... And, and, and like, he's like, and, and he, he thinks he's dying. And he's just like, you know, remember me when I'm gone. And, and then they're like, dude, it's, and then they're like, hey, it's just a scratch. And he's like, Oh, okay. Well, well, and and it's so funny too because he, as he's in, he tells like he's dying, like as he's dying, he tells his sister, he's like, "Sister, you're such a babe." <laughs> and he, you'll find true love. And it's and it's so funny because he's like, "Oh, I guess it is a scratch." And then he gets up and he just he just kind of like does his usual like tough guy walk and just kind of crosses his arms. He's like, "I'm okay." And then that's where we get into. Uh, the volcano erupting it just erupts and causes a mudslide and that's where we get into like the uh, the longest i think claymation scene in the movie where um <laughs> as it's coming down um it, it's really it's just a really fun moment um they're like where's pochi and they see pochi he's on a log coming down the mudslide so the father runs up there gets on a tree and grabs Pochi and is able to make it down there. And they have this moment where they, uh, where they surround the house and they're like, everybody lock, hold hands. And like, no, and like, not like it's literally everybody, including the dog. There's a moment where it shows the grandfather, including the like, criminal. He's there too. <laughs> holding the hand of the dog. It, it, because it, it's such a, like, you just, you see this little claymation paw and it's like grab. <laughs> and, uh, they all they all surround the house and they hold arms and they're kind of like it's like the sequence where they're where the mud just completely just thrusts them throws them somewhere and um, they survive. Yeah, and the house is completely intact and they land in a a sound of music. They meadow. they land in sound of music meadow that appears to be Africa. 
But it's like yeah, and isn't that where the house went? Isn't that like uh, where the road's going to be? I feel like I'm remembering. Something I, I think here. so. No. Oh, okay. It's not a happy ending. <laughs> no, like I don't. Uh, no, I, I, I actually, from what I know, the road, literally where they're burying the bodies, that's where the road, that's where the construction was going to come, uh, come through. Um, yeah, so they they were going yeah, to dig okay, up the yeah. bodies when they came through. But yeah. since the mudslide happened, it kind of like destroyed everything except for their uh, home, which they got trans. It removed them from the situation. Yeah, completely removed them from the situation, and um, put them in this idyllic landscape. And we have another uh, just ni- really nice musical number, and then we get into this really tender moment where it's like, I think it was like a year or two after they're like grandfather dies and it's just it was, it was really sad yeah they. Hit. i think it's because the actual like actor died oh really i, oh. I could be wrong i could be wow. wrong i know that actor is dead now and he was in an old samurai movie i don't remember his name and like because after they have like this this tender moment of just how uh, to, to get into the family, that life will endure. Even if human beings eventually disappear, they will they will live to the best of their abilities until that day. And, see, and, and like the grandfather's having like this, like tender, like silent moment with the granddaughter, and she smiles back. And then the grandfather glows and it shoots up into heaven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And everybody starts to clap and say, yay! And they're all... It's just... Literally, that's what happens. And, then, and smash cut to credits. And, you're, and like... I feel what I feel like with almost... Literally with every time... Jonathan, like every time we finish a movie, it's just like, what the fuck? That was a movie. Or we just burst out laughing. Yeah. And, and all, all the movies, probably except uh, Django, we were... We were. I, I was just like, I think I liked it, <laughs> you know. We because didn't know how to feel, you know, except for Ichi. But yeah, like this movie. Like the more we talk about like this movie and the other, the other two. Like I, I really enjoyed these movies more than I thought I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I. I uh... This is the first movie I watched because I was like, you know what? Colt said it was really good. He said I would like it. I'm going to watch it. And I freaking loved it. I like, I like, ooh, man, it's so freaking good. Four and a half stars, baby. So, like. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Four and a half. It's my favorite of the four oh, yeah. I watched. Like, n- oh, no, 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 I don't even know what to say. <laughs> no competition. I don't know. Um, Man, it, like. Ah, ah, man! It's just it like it combined musical, claymation, horror, uh, family drama, uh, soap opera. Like it was just wacky, wacky shit. shit. It was just so good. Yeah, it, it, and it 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 defies it defies genre categorization, and it it, it is just uh, explanation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just start fucking coughing. Uh, trying to explain it it's just i don't know i i really recommend this movie however i do i could see where someone would really hate it oh for sure like but I, because it is very in 
incoherent in places. I, if you can't tell by our frantic description of the plot, I, I definitely think like it would be in a way a cautious recommend. Like it's it's like it's, there's nothing really objectionable to what happens in the film. It's just it, you just have to require like a certain type of humor, a certain type of appreciation for like just strange and bizarre. Like I know if Liz and Cannon watched it with us, they would hate every fucking second. Oh man. Well, they don't, what? They don't like fun. They don't like fun. Oh, that's a, oh man. (laughs) I was about to say, if you're a cool person and you like to have a fun time, you'll love it. But if you're a bad person and you suck shit, (laughs) I don't know. Liz liked Hausu, didn't she? I think I think she, she laughed did. at it. I don't I, know if she liked like she it. She laughed at it. I don't know if she's like, oh, I enjoy this, or this is so fucking weird I can't help but laugh. Yeah. So because it, it definitely has a very similar vibe to that movie. Which you know, that was our favorite of the Japanese horror um, trilogy we watched. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, it's, it's the same one we did audition episode one thirty. Uh, we did that last uh, October. Go go check that out. Yeah. And uh, th- this was a lot of fun. Like. Like like I said, like with every one of these movies, just kind of like it took me a second to get my thoughts together about what, about each of these, and for the most part, I en- I enjoyed them all to an extent. And of course, this this was this was my favorite. Django was number two, and 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 the thing is, we <laughs> barely we barely scratched the surface of the Kashimike's work, and these these are just four of his most well-known films and i feel like this is a these are like good like a good base of coverage of what he's mm-hmm. known for and what he can do like there's still several movies in his catalog that i'm interested in checking out oh yeah a hundred percent and uh and that would that that's sort of the question i would ask it's like after seeing these movies would you want to look more into his catalog oh, yeah and, for and, sure and, and i think i i definitely would yeah, I mean, just because, and, and the and unlike you know, unlike other directors who kind of have their own shtick, I mean, he's really diverse in what he does. Yeah, and I mean, and he's done like a f- literally over a hundred movies, so you know, you could watch just content made by this guy for you know years. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. The thing out of all he like, he's made a hundred movies. I only hate one of the five or six that I've seen. So I think that's a pretty good hit rate where <laughs> I'm going to like most of his movies if it's uh, humorous and doesn't uh, include torture rape. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it's funny. Uh, before the, before this episode, we uh, Holt was the first one to watch Ichi, and he told us about this, and we were all kind of like iffy. We were like, oh, should we talk about Ichi? And then we all decided, like, you know what? Maybe we should all watch it come to a vote but then uh the majority of us all also decided to watch stuff last minute uh so by the time we got we all watched everything it's like well we can't because we're going to substitute ichi uh for 13 assassins which is free on hulu if you have it uh you can stream it on there um but but we were just we just were like you know well it's so obscene we'll just talk about it and from what colt has said he really enjoyed 13 assassins and i i really want to check it out it's actually a very good movie it's a good serious movie it's not like uh the other three movies we talked about where it's like silly stuff it's a pretty serious movie but it's really good though it's not like ichi i promise (laughs) (laughs) and i think uh we we kind of 
covered the course here, this is sort of like our sample platter for a director that we had a, a, a lot of interest in, a lot of curiosity about. And I think this is, if, if you're anything like us, this is sort of, just has whet your appetite for not only diving deeper into Miike's work, but also just exploring the, the body work of other directors. And I feel like this, this may be a sort of a, 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 an episode type that we may revisit, like other, other directors' body work, just so it explore the movies we've always meant to see and just sort of giving us an excuse to really sit down and take a deep dive through all of those. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, something I should say, too, was that uh, I I didn't expect myself... I, I, I honestly believed, like, ah, crap, I'm going to be one of those... I'm going to be this again, where I wasn't able to watch one of these movies or I didn't watch any of them, but I ended up watching all four of them and like that that added to my um hundred movie challenge of the year. So, you know, that's pretty pretty awesome. I, I really want I don't mind doing this. Like with this, I'm halfway through. I'm up to fifty movies now. Oh wow, nice. Uh, wow. Jesus Christ. I'm uh let me look. I am very high up. I've been watching movies constantly because of uh, quarantine. I mean I'm gonna be slowing down because I gotta go back to work. But I am currently at uh well it's not loading i want to say 74 out of 100 wow i'm i'm currently at 36 so yeah well thank you all so much for joining us today on this um this cinematic exploration of a very interesting and eclectic director and uh, be sure to follow us on soundcloud itunes google play google podcasts overcast spotify rss feed catchers we're we're out there on all of them be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe on this platform that helps us out, spreads the word around, increases our visibility, just really keeps the show going. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AYCH Podcast. You can follow us on Twitch and YouTube at All You Can Hear. You can follow us on Facebook and Letterboxd at AYCH Podcast. And you can follow me, Patrick, on Twitter and Instagram at John Lusser's Name. Follow my art on Facebook at John Lusser's Name Art. My name is Jonathan. You can follow me on Twitter at J-O-N-I-I-B-O-I-24 and uh, JohnOwnSun12 on Letterboxd. My name, Colt. Follow me on Twitter at ColtD00. Just remember, Whip and Nene, have a blast, but do it inside. Please stay home. Please still stay home. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow me, Wenzel, on Twitter at WenzelBilking. Follow my art Instagram at World of Wednesday. Please stay inside, watch some movies, read some books, do something Jerk inside. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just being honest here. Just do it. I, I, just I mean, do it inside. Colt's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Thank you all so much. Uh, take care of yourself. We'll be talking to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.